we are on air for Sanford Racing's NASCAR Weekend Preview with Hot Topic Sound Off. Tonight is a big night here on Sanford Racing Radio because we have five races. Uh, let's see. Yeah, five races over four racetracks that we're going to be previewing tonight. Joining me as co-host is Jay Huseman. Welcome to the show, Jay. Thank you, Sharon. I know you're trying to put all the numbers to the, together there, but it's actually six over four tracks, I think. Six races, four different series. Wait, the East-West. Six races, five series over four tracks. There's a, There I think it is. Okay, something like that. I know it's four different tracks. Uh, and a lot. The busiest, uh, <laughs> the busiest group is going to be the Arkham and Art Series. They're going to race two races this weekend. One race at Michigan International Speedway, the other race at uh, Illinois State Fairgrounds. So they'll be racing Friday night and Sunday afternoon. So uh, it's going to be a busy weekend for the Arkham and Hard Series. Tonight, we're going to start with that. We're going to preview the Arkham and Hard Series at Michigan and Illinois, as well as the Arca West at Irwindale Speedway. Uh, in the next half hour, we'll get into the Truck Series at WWT at Gateway, and then we'll get into the NASCAR Xfinity and Cup Series, both racing at Michigan International Speedway. So, uh, again, it's a big night. Did I miss anything in there, Jay? Uh, no, you got the trucks at Gateway, and I think that was the, the other one there. Yeah, so that's three, and then three more. That's six races. You're right. So six races over four tracks uh, over three days. So uh, at 10 o'clock tonight is our NASCAR Hot Topic Sound Off, and uh, it sounds like Andy's going to be back tonight, and we'll have Tommy with us tonight as well, So, uh, as well as Jay and myself, of course. So uh, definitely looking forward to that, too. I always I do. I, I know Andy's been... What's that? <laughs> I think we've got a few things to talk about. Yeah, and, and I know Andy's excited. Uh, he's been real busy, going to be able to get back. We had Mike back a couple of weeks ago for a couple shows, so always a great mixture here for fan for racing, blog, and radio, hot topics. Yes, indeed. We like to get everybody's point of view. Okay, so with that, Jay, let's go ahead and go to the pit box for um, the Arkham Menard series. Uh, I'm going to just kind of cover this first section uh, about all the races and the times and everything, and then we'll get into each individual race. But the Arkham Menard Series platform is set for its busiest weekend of the year with three races across two series scheduled over the span of three days. Now, the Arkham Menard Series will compete, complete a weekend doubleheader starting Friday evening with Henry Ford Health System 200 at Michigan International Speedway. The series and its competitors will then travel Saturday ahead of Sunday's Allen Crow 100 on the Springfield Mile at Illinois State Fairgrounds. It's the first of two dirt track races on the schedule for the Arkham Series. Meanwhile, the Arkham Series West on Saturday will contest its fifth race of the season, the Napa Auto Parts 150 presented by Sunrise Ford, at Irwindale Speedway outside of Los Angeles. Now, this, this particular race marks the series' second race 
this season at Irwindale, where the defending champion, Jesse Love, won there just last month. Now, both Arkham and Art Series races are scheduled to broadcast live on MAV-TV Motorsports Network with live streams available on NBC Sports Gold Track Pass. Friday's race at Michigan will start at 6 p.m. Eastern. Sunday's race at the Springfield Mile will start at 1.30 p.m. Central. That's 2.30 p.m. Eastern. And Saturday's West Series race at Irwindale will be shown live on Track Pass starting at 7 p.m. Pacific Time, 10 p.m. Eastern Time. A replay of the race will be broadcast on NBC Sports Network this Sunday, August the 29th, or I should say next Sunday, August the 29th, starting at 4.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Now we'll get into each of the individual races, Jay, starting with the Henry Ford Health System 200 at Michigan International Speedway, and we'll let folks know what to watch for. Well, the Arkham and Art Series visits a wide variety of track configurations, but its annual visit to Brooklyn, Michigan, delivers its only on a two-mile paved oval. Uh, perhaps more so than any race on the 2021 schedule, Friday's Henry Ford Health System 200 will make pure speed the priority for teams in the field. Look at last year, Riley Herbst won the Arkham Menard Series race at Michigan, where he was driving for Joe Gibbs Racing, which is a good uh, sign for current JGR and championship points leader Ty Gibbs. Now, Gibbs has not yet competed on a two-mile oval like Michigan, but as the 18-year-old has proven this year, inexperience is not much of a factor as it relates to his ability to win in the Arkham Menard Series. Now, Gibbs' challenger in the title race is Corey Hine, who has no experience in Michigan, but you have combined to win 12 of 13 Arkham Menard Series races contested thus far this year. Now, Gibbs has seven victories are compared to Heim with five victories. Friday's Ford Health System 200 is the first round of the weekend triple, triple header for the track. The New Holland 250 for the Xfinity Series is scheduled for Saturday, and the Firekeepers Casino 400 for the NASCAR Cup Series is scheduled for Sunday. So um, uh, let's go ahead and go on to, well, let's cover the uh, entry list real quick. Anybody that we haven't already mentioned, which is most everybody except for uh, Ty Gibbs and uh, uh, Corey Hines. All right. Uh, I just want the car and the driver number tonight since we got so many to cover. Yeah. Yes, let's do that. All right. All right. I'll start at the bottom, I believe, for the Michigan race. It's 20. We'll see where we get here. The 06 is going to be Zachary Tinkle. Uh, the 02 is going to be Connor Mozak. In the 01, we have Tony Constantino. And in the 97, it's Jason Kitzmeyer. The 69, that'll be Scott Melton. And then the 65 is going to be Jeffrey Maxink. And the number 48 is uh, the traditional driver, Brad Smith. And then the number 46 is Thad Moffitt. In the number 35, Greg Van Alst. And in the 28, it'll be Kyle Sieg. In the number 27 is Tim Richmond. And then we have Gracie Trotter driving the number 25. 
Making one of his few starts here in the Arkham Menard Series, the 23 will be Sam Mayer. And the number 20, we talked about championship contender, Corey Hine. The other championship contender is Ty Gibbs in the number 18. And Drew Dowler will be in the number 15. The number 12, that'll be D.L. Wilson. And in the number 11, Brandon Varney. In the number 10, we have Morgan Baird. And in the uh, number two is Nick Sanchez. So we've got some uh, that, different names on the entry list there, and that's pretty cool. And when we get to the uh, Illinois race there, I believe it's 16 drivers. We're going to see some different drivers there as well, so I can't wait to cover that. Exactly. Okay, now we're going to move on to the Napa Auto Parts 150 presented by Sunrise Ford at Irwindale Speedway and what to watch for there. Again, they're racing on Saturday. So uh, what's going what's gonna to happen in that Napa Auto Parts 150s, Jim? Well, when we look at California Irwindale, it's a big race for defending West Series champion Jesse Love as he tries to keep the likes of Cole Moore, Todd Souza, Dean Thompson, and Jake Drew behind him in points. We'll talk about how close that is if we get a chance to at least cover the top five to ten in points. Okay. About a month and a half after the Arkham Menard Series West competed at Irwindale Speedway, a half-mile oval nestled in the heart of San Gabriel Valley, this series is back. And Lovers will be attempting to do what Todd Gilliland pulled off in the West Series from 2016 to 17 by winning three consecutive races at that track. Now, if Bill McAnally, racing driver, were to win his second race of the 2021 season Saturday, he would join Gilliland, Jason Bowles, who did it in 2008-9, and Brendan Gaughan, who did it in 2001, as drivers who won three straight West Series events at, at Irwindale Speedway. I mentioned Love, and he enters Saturday's race at Irwindale as the West Series points leader through four of the nine races, but holds just a two-point advantage over his BMR teammate, Cole Moore. And with Todd Souza, Dean Thompson, and Jake Drew rounding out the top five in the standings, all within nine points of Love, this Irwindale race could be very pivotal in the season-long title chase. Okay, again, we'll go through the uh, entry list. I'll start from the bottle, bottom, and we'll go up. Uh, in the number zero weight is John Wood, and Cole Moore will be driving the number 99 this weekend. In the 88, we got Bridget Burgess, and in the number eight zero eighty, we got Brian Comiskey. Okay, in the number 77 is Mariah Baudrio. I think I pronounced that correctly, and Joy East will be driving the number 54. Dean Thompson in the number 51, as always, and Hyoko Uno in the number 38, and i got to hope I pronounced <laughs> that one right. <laughs> okay, P.J. Pedrincelli will be in the number 33, and Paul Pedrincelli will be in the number 31 this weekend. Bobby Hillis will be in the number 27, and Amber Balcane in the number 19. And our championship uh, defending champion uh, from last season, Jesse Love, will be driving the number 16, while Todd Souza will be behind the wheel of the number 13. 
in the number nine. That'll be Jake Drew. And then John Borneman in the number eight. Koga driving the number seven. And in the number six is Trevor Huddleston. And the final two here in the number five, Sebastian Arias and Eric Nascimento in the number four. All right. Uh, So next up, uh, we are going to talk about the Springfield Mile here in Illinois. Uh, And regardless of what happens Friday at Michigan, the Arkham and Arts Series title race is guaranteed to get dirty on Sunday at the Springfield Mile. It's the first of two dirt track races this season and is a staple on the ARCA schedule, and such a tough race has a reputation for its unpredictability. The Allen Crow 100 has produced 12 different winners over the last 12 years, and Frank Kimmel's victory in 2012 marked the last time Springfield saw a, a repeat ARCA winner. Last year, the Dirk track ringer, Ryan Unzinger, dominated uh, Springfield, and the 40-year-old from El Paso, Illinois, plans to race in this 2021 event as well. I did see him on the entry list. Now, both Gibbs mm-hmm. and Heim will be looking to improve upon their disappointing run in last year's dirt race at the Springfield Mile, as Heim was knocked out of contention by an accident with three laps to go before finishing eighth. And Gibbs finished 10th after getting caught up in a wreck on the first lap. Okay, now Gibbs finished 15th in the 2019 race at Springfield, the only other time that he's raced on dirt in the Arkham and Art Series. Now, including the 2019 event at DeCoin State Fairgrounds, the other dirt track on the schedule, uh, Heim has had a top five and three top ten finishes on dirt tracks in the Arkham Art Series. He finished third at DuPoint and seventh and eighth at Springfield in 2019 and 20, respectively. Uh, now we're going to move on to the uh, series entry list for the Springfield Mile. And, again, we'll go bottom-up, Jay. Well, real quick, real quick before I start that, I just I find it ironic how they talk about disappointing runs there of 8th and 10th. That's how, how good these guys are. <laughs> They're talking about that being their disappointing finish. Yeah, isn't that crazy? All right. All right. For the Illinois race here, uh, Zachary Tinkle going to be in the 0-6. The 0-1 Hilleberg machine has yet to announce a driver per our entry list. Okay, and this makes me happy. And the number 69 this weekend is Will Kimmel. Uh, he's the, uh, he used to be in that car every weekend, so it's really good to see him back there uh, this weekend at Springfield. Uh, Brad Smith, again, will be in the number 48. In the number 46, here we're, we're, here's where some of the changes. Uh, Sharon mentioned Will Kimmel. The 46 is going to be Taylor Gray. And then Alex Chubb, or Club, sorry, Alex Club in the number 27. Okay. And the number 25 this weekend is Cody Breidinger. Uh, and then Ryan Unsicker, last year's winner of this race, is in the number 24. Then you have the pair of championship contenders we mentioned. The number 20 will be Corey Heim. And the number 18, Ty Gibbs. And then I'm excited about this too, Jay. And the number 16 this weekend is Justin Aldauer. He's an Illinois guy, and uh, it's great to see him back on Illinois dirt. 
Uh, and the number 15 is our uh, ARCA West champion from last year, Jesse Love, also racing in the ARCA Menard Series this year. I knew you'd be excited about that when I saw Algar was going to be on there. About as excited as I am <laughs> is seeing Ryan Unzicker as a dirt driver here this weekend. So yeah. uh, the number 12, that's going to be D.L. Wilson and Mike Goody in the number 11. And the number 10 is Tim El- I'm sorry, Tim Monroe, and he's from Elmwood, Illinois, another Illinois driver there. And then the number two is Landon Lewis. So uh, very excited about this race. I always love the race at the Springfield Mile. Uh, it's the last day of the Illinois State Fairground uh, Fair, and uh, this is kind of a premier event, if you will, for that last day of the fair. So uh, very excited about this race. And I say I've always liked this about the Arkham Menard Series, that they, they've been doing this for a long time. I think they've had as many as four dirt tracks on their uh, schedule in years past. I know this year it's only two, but to see that variety, and you mentioned it, go from the biggest to the 2.0-mile uh, paved oval of Michigan to changing it up to a one-mile <laughs> and it being a dirt track, I mean, that, that yeah. just, I mean, that's how these drivers develop. Exactly right. Now, I'm going to go over the dates and times and, and some other details with regard to each of these races. We'll start with the Allen Crow 100 at the Springfield Mile at the Illinois State Fairgrounds in Springfield, Illinois. Again, that race is Sunday, August the 22nd at 1.30 p.m. Central to 2.30 p.m. Eastern. It will be televised again on MAV-TV and will also be available for live streaming at Track Pass on NBC Sports Gold. Uh, for those who want to listen to the radio, uh, it will be available at ArcoRacing.com. This is a one-mile dirt oval. They're racing 100 laps to cover that 100-mile distance. Now, Sunday, August 22nd, they'll have practice at 10 a.m., qualifying at 11.30 a.m., and the race again at 1.30 p.m. Central. Those are all central times. So, uh, again, very excited about that race right here in Illinois. Uh, next up, I don't know if you want to do the next one, Jay. The Napa Auto Parts 150 presented by Sunrise Ford. Okay, I don't know where, I don't know where you had that at. Sorry. Oh, Okay. Uh, that race is going to be at Irwindale Speedway in Irwindale, California, Saturday, August the 21st uh, at 7 p.m. Central, 10 p.m. Eastern. Now, again, it's available on Track Pass on NBC Sports Gold. If you want to listen to the radio, that's available at arcoracing.com. Now, this is a half-mile paved oval, and they're racing 150 laps to cover a distance of 75 miles. Now, Saturday, August the 21st, they'll have practice and qualifying at 3 p.m. and the race at 7 p.m. Those times are Pacific time. So, uh, again, a very exciting race, the second race at Irwindale Speedway. And next up, we have the Health Board Health Systems 200 at Michigan International Speedway in Brooklyn, Michigan. That race is on Friday, August the 20th at 6 p.m. Eastern and will be on TV, MAV-TV, as well as Track Pass on NBC Sports Gold. Radio coverage for this one will be on MRN and SiriusXM, channel 391, 
or if you're listening online, it's channel 981. This is a two-mile paved oval, and they're racing 100 laps to cover a distance of 200 miles. Friday, August the 20th, they'll have practice at 4 p.m. The race starts at 6 p.m., and these times are Eastern time. So, uh, again, very exciting uh, weekend for the Arkham and Art Series. I can't wait to see what happens with these three races. Yeah, that's a lot to cover, and it is all just within the Arkham Menards uh, banner, uh, West Series and then the regular season, two races for them, so much racing for them throughout the weekend. And I know we got about nine minutes, so hopefully we can still cover the two-point standings here as well, at least maybe the first top five or so. Absolutely we can. First, what I want to do is I want to let people know that the Arca East, their next place is next weekend along with the Arkham and Art Series. They'll be racing at the Milwaukee Mile on August the 29th at 2 p.m. Central Time. Uh, that will be televised on MAP TV. And by the way, there is another yeah, fine. I just move it up here so when I move it on. as well. So that's pretty exciting. Uh, let's go ahead and cover the points uh, for the all three series, starting with uh, the – let's start with the East since uh, we just gave when that race is, and they're not racing this weekend. All right, let me pull that one up real quick, believe it or not. That was one I didn't have pulled up yet, but should just take a second. So in the east, (laughs) uh, six, well, and actually I forgot too, I got to pull up the the Sioux Chief Showdown as well, as one of the races will be in that. That's what we talk about, so much action going on here, but... Uh, on the mm-hmm. East, and again, they are on the break this week. Uh, Sammy Smith, six races, three wins, has him in the points lead at 19 above Mason Diaz. Now, Diaz does have three fo- top fives and five top tens out of the six races, but is in second place. Third place, Daniel Dye has one top five and six top tens. is 26 points back. Max Gutierrez, one win, two top fives, and five top tens puts him 30 points back. And then fifth place is Joey East, who's got four top fives and five top tens, putting him 35 points back. And I'm going to hit sixth place here real quick. Uh, mm-hmm. Those are the six drivers then that have six starts, and that's Raja Karuth, two top fives and four top tens, puts him 37 points back. And you'll notice the consistency there. Five or six top tens is what has these drivers even in slight contention, if you will, uh, for the championship. It's so true. Okay, next we'll uh, go ahead and cover the ARCA West. All right, on the West side. Here we only have four races in the books, and this one is super tight. We mentioned it, Jesse Love, one win, two top fives, three top tens as your points leader. Cole Moore, three top ten or three top fives and three top tens is only two points behind. Now, Todd Souza, been in the top ten every race, but only one top five, leaves him a whole four points back. Dean Thompson, nine back as he has one top five and two top tens. Then you got Jake Drew is in fifth. Two top fives and three top tens is also nine back. Uh, Thompson does have the advantage tiebreaker there. Sixth through 11th all have four starts. 
One of them does have a win. Sixth place, Joey East. He's 14 back. Paul Pedronicelli Jr. is 15 back. Trevor Huddleston, 16 back. The biggest jump here is ninth place. Uh, Bridget Burgess, two top tens out of the four races, is 30 back. Bobby Hillis Jr., same uh, stat there, two top tens out of four races, is 39 points back. And Takuma Koga doesn't have a top ten yet, but started all four races, is 39 points back. So uh, I think uh, things will separate themselves perhaps starting this weekend in this ARCA West series. Cover the ARCA Menard series and their point standings. There we got another intense battle. We've talked about it uh, since the beginning of the series, I think. Uh, 13 races in, four drivers have made all 13 starts. But the top two are Ty Gibbs. He's got seven wins in those 13 races. 12 top fives and 12 top tens. That puts him at two points over Corey Heim. Stat line is a little bit different, but not much. Five wins, 12 top fives, but he does have 13 top tens. Then you drop down to Thad Moffitt. Uh, no wins there. Corey Heim and uh, Ty Gibbs have been gobbling them up. But he does have five mm-hmm. top fives and 10 top tens and puts him 97 points back. Nick Sanchez, six top fives, 10 top tens, is 120 back. Fifth place is the next closest, 12 starts for Brad Smith, uh, no wins, no top fives or top tens, and that puts him 318 points back. Okay. And those all those drivers have started uh, uh, at least, 12 races. Brad Smith has only 12 races in. The other four drivers have all 13 races in the book. So, again, it's going to be fun to see between the top two drivers, Ty Gibbs and Corey Heim. But let's talk about the Sioux Chief Showdown here. Well, that one, almost the same story. Ty Gibbs, here we got six races in. Uh, Ty Gibbs is your points leader at 254 points, has four wins, one second, one fourth uh, for a total of six top fives and six top ten. Corey Heim is at 244 points, so it's 10 points back. One win, one second, two thirds, a fourth, and that gives him five top fives and six top tens. Dropping back a little bit, Thad Moffat is at 225, uh, puts him 30, 29 points back. Sorry, I got to do the math on my own on that one. Uh, 225 points, as well as Nick Sanchez. They're both tied here. So, But Thad Moffitt uh, won third place, won fourth place, and won fifth place, won sixth place. So three top fives and five top tens. Nick Sanchez won third place, two fifth places, and two sixth places. Gives him the three top fives and five top tens as well. The only one, the other one to do six starts in those six races is Brad Smith, and he doesn't have any top fives or top tens, but and so leaves him 26 and 54. Looks like 70 points out. Now that could change. We got Taylor Gray, Jesse Love, Daniel Dine, Owen Smith, and Tony Constantino, but they only have four and five starts. Uh, with looks like Owen Smith having five starts of the six starts. Yes. Yeah. 
So, again, we'll see what happens when they race out at the Milwaukee Mile in another week uh, and see how that separates. But they've got the two races this weekend uh, to kind of separate themselves in the Arkham Menard Series. Okay, so uh, I know we're about just a minute early, but I'm going to go ahead and get into the NASCAR Camping World Truck Series. Uh, They are racing this weekend. The Toyota 200 presented by TK Power at the Worldwide Technology Raceway at Gateway. That race takes place tomorrow night, Friday, August the 20th at 9 p.m. Eastern Time. Fox Sports 1 will have pre-race coverage starting at 9 p- I'm sorry, 8 p.m. Eastern, and radio coverage is on MRN and Sirius XM NASA Radio Channel 90. They'll be racing a distance of 200 miles over 160 laps. The first stage ends on lap 55. Stage 2 also has 55 laps. It ends on lap 110. And the final stage ends on the last lap, which is lap 160, meaning that that stage is only 50 laps. So now I want to do something a little different uh, in the truck series here because last week we went over all of the contenders, okay? So rather than starting with that uh, this week, I want to start at the top and work our way down in the truck series, Jay. All right. Let me scroll up there to the top. Uh, Where do we start here? If we have time, we'll kind of go ahead and cover that again. Uh, but since we covered it on Monday night's show, I'd rather cover new material tonight. All right. The uh, Camping World Truck Series playoff opener is set for the Worldwide Technology Raceway at Gateway. Uh, it was following a weather-shortened regular season finale two weeks ago at Watkins Glen that set that 10-driver playoff field we talked about and saw Hattori Racing's Enterprises' Austin Hill claim his second victory of the season. Uh, The Camping World's now ready for their playoff opener, the Toyota 200 presented by CK Power at Worldwide Technology. Uh, On August 20th, 9 p.m. Eastern, Sharon mentioned it will be covered on FS1, MRN, and Sirius XM Radio. The 2021 season will be the sixth running of the NASCAR Camping World Truck Series playoffs, uh, dating from 2016 through 2021. The five previous playoff era seasons have produced five different champions. Johnny Sauter in 2016, Christopher Bell in 17, 18 was Brett Moffitt, 2019 was Matt Crafton, and 2020 was Sheldon Sheldon Creed. Once again, the NASCAR Camping World Series 2021 is going to feature a seven-race, three-round playoff format. All three national series will conclude the playoffs with a championship four battle at Phoenix Raceway to crown their champion. Okay. Now, the the characteristics of the NASCAR Champion World Truck Series playoff format include the number of championship drivers in contention for the NASCAR Champion World Truck Series championship will decrease after every three playoff races from 10 to start in the playoffs to eight after race number three, and it will pair down to four after race number six through 18 are known as the round of 10. Races 19 through 21 of the season will be known as the round of eight. 
And the race number 22 is the NASCAR Champion World Truck Series Championship, Championship 4 round. A win in the championship by a championship-eligible driver in any playoff race automatically clinches the winning driver a spot into the next round. Four drivers will enter the Truck Series Championship race with a chance at the title. The highest finisher among those four capture the championship title. And the rest of the or the Camping World Truck Series playoff structure, the round of 10, which we're getting ready to start, the first round, races 16 through 18, called the round of 10, consists of the races at Gateway, Darlington, and Bristol. Now, if a driver in the playoffs wins in this round, they automatically advance to that next round of eight. The remaining available positions, one through eight, that have not been filled by wins will be filled on points. Each of them will then have their points reset to 3,000, plus any playoff points uh, awarded that they've earned up to that point. When we look at the round of 10 as they start, They've already done that at 2,000 points plus bonus points. So John Hunter Nemechek is going to start at 2,049, 48 points up on the cut line. Austin Hill is in second at 2021, 20 points to the good. Ben Rhodes at 2019, 18 to the good. Todd Gillen, 2015, is 14 points to the good. Sheldon Creed at 2011 is 10 to the good. Zane Smith in six is 2009 is eight points to the good. Matt Crafton at 2004 is only three points to the good. Now here's where it gets interesting already. Uh, Carson Horsevar at 2002 is in by one point. And then you have another rookie, Chandler Smith, at 2001 is one point out. And Stuart Friesen at 2001, tied at also at 2001, is also one point out as they'd be the two to first be eliminated. Yep, yep, that's uh, pretty interesting. Now, the round of eight, the second round of races, 19 through 21, is the round of eight at Las Vegas, Talladega, and Martinsville. Likewise, if a driver in the top eight in points wins a race in this round, the driver automatically advances to the next round, the championship fourth. The remaining available positions, one through four, that have not been filled by wins, will be filled on points. Each will then have their points reset to 4,000. And with that, each eliminated driver uh, returns to the playoff start base of 2,000, plus any of the playoff awards, or plus any awarded playoff points that they've accumulated with their points, starting with races number 17 added. This allows drivers not in contention for the Camping World Truck Series title to continue to race for the best possible season-long standing with final positions 5th through 10th still up for grabs all the way through that championship race. Okay. Now, in the championship race, the 22nd and final race of the season will be the NASCAR Camping World Truck Series championship finale. Simply stated, the highest finisher in that race among the remaining four eligible drivers will win the NASCAR Camping World Truck Series title. Stage playoff points will not apply in the season finale, so the official finishing position alone will decide the champion. 
Now, of note, all rules outlined above also apply to the NASCAR Camping World Truck Series owner championship structure as well. So let's now talk about the first playoff race. Well, that first race will be at Worldwide Technology Raceway, which is at Gateway. It'll be home of the first of seven playoff races to determine the 2021 NASCAR Camping World Truck Series champion. It'll be the Toyota 200 presented by CK Power August 20th at 9 p.m. Eastern. The 2021 season marks the first year that Worldwide Raceway, Worldwide Technology Raceway at Gateway has participated in the NASCAR Camping World Truck Series playoffs, becoming the fourth different track to open the playoffs. Uh, that'll joining New Hampshire Motor Speedway was the first race in 2016 and 17. In 2018, it was Canadian Tire Motorsports Park, and then in 19 or 2019 and 20 Bristol Motor Speedway. Now, for fans that don't know, Worldwide Technology Raceway at Gateway is a 1.25-mile paved oval. In total, the track has hosted 20 NASCAR Camping World Truck Series races dating back to the inaugural event on September 19, 1998. The first truck at race at Gateway was won by Rick Corelli, driving in the number six, owned by Marshall Chessround. The 20 Camping 20 Camping World Truck Series races at Worldwide Technology Raceway have produced 19 different winners, uh, led by Ted Musgrave with two victories coming in 01 and 05. And two former Series Gateway winners are entered this weekend. The 2020 NASCAR Camping World Truck Series champion Sheldon Creed did it in 2020. And the 2021 regular season champion John Hunter Nemechek in 2017. Breaking down the race itself, it's going to be 200 miles or 160 laps, broken into the three stages as usual. The first two stages are 55 laps each, and the final run will be 50 laps. A total of 12 different Camping World Truck Series drivers have qualified on the pole at Worldwide Technology Raceway. That's led by Greg Biffle, who did it in 98-2000, and then Ted Musgrave, who did it in 01 and 05, along with his wins. They each have two poles. And this weekend's lineups will be set by the metric qualifying. And as a result, Austin Hill will start from the pole and be joined on the front row by John Hunter Nemechek. Three Camping World Truck Series races at Gateway have been won from the pole or first starting position. Most recent to accomplish the feat was Kevin Harvick in 2010. The other two, that's name coming up again, Ted Musgrave did it in 2001 and 2005. Uh, the deepest in the field the driver started from and gone on to win the race, wow, uh, 17th, and that was by Sheldon Creed last season when he picked up the victory. Very interesting stuff there. Okay, now then, we're getting to the point that we can scout the 2021 NASCAR Camping World Truck Series playoff field. Uh, now, the 10-driver field is stacked with contenders ready for their shot at the title, and seven different organizations are represented in this year's preseason, I'm sorry, postseason driver field. Uh, we're going to take a quick look at the challengers that this season in the playoffs heading into this weekend at Gateway. And, Jay, let's go from the bottom up here. All right. Let me scroll well, down there now. That would be Stuart Friesen. All right. Whoops. Just went by him. 
Okay. Uh, Halmar, Fri- Halmar Friesen's racing, Stuart Friesen, the number 52 Toyota, enters the 2021 Camping World Truck Series playoffs as a number 10 seed with 2,001 points and 48 points back from John Hunter Nemechek in that number one seed. 2021 season marks the third time he has competed in the Camping World Truck Series playoffs. Friesen finished a career-best fourth in the 2019 playoffs after posting a win in the petulant race at Phoenix to earn his spot in the championship round or championship four round. He failed to make the postseason last year, ultimately finishing the season in 15th in point. And Friesen has made three starts at Worldwide Technology Raceway at Gateway, posting two top fives, and his average finish at the 1.25-mile track is 7.0, which is third best among playoff drivers. Did you want me to go through the 2021 all? For this year? Okay. Uh, 15 starts. He doesn't have any race wins or stage wins, but three top fives, four top tens, along with, unfortunately, three DNS. His driver rating is 85.2, average running position, 12.791, and led a total of 13 laps. Okay, next up we have Kyle Busch Motorsports Chandler Smith in the number 18 Toyota. He enters uh, the Truck Series playoffs as the number nine seed with 2,001 points. That's 48 points behind the standing lead. Now, Smith and Carson Hosefire are the only two Sunoco Rookie of the Year candidates uh, from the 2021 class to make it to the postseason. Smith joined Hosefire this season as the ninth and tenth different Sunoco Rookie of the Year candidates to make the NASCAR Truck Series playoffs all time, joining Christopher Bell, who was there in 2016, William Byron also in 2016, Austin Sindrick and Chase Briscoe, along with Cass Lauer in 2017, Tyler Ankerman in 2019, Faith Smith in 2020, and Christian Eckes also in 2020. Smith has made two starts at Worldwide Technology Raceway at Gateway, posting one top five finish. His average finish at the 1.25-mile track is 13.5. In 15 starts, he has one stage win, three top fives, five top tens, and two DNFs, which stands for did not finish. His driver rating is 85.0. His average running position, 14.608, and he's led a total of 94 laps. Nice Motorsports, Carson Horsevar, the number 42 Chevrolet, enters the 2021 playoffs as the number eight uh, seed with 2,002 points, or 47 points back from John Hunter Nemechek. I mentioned Hosevar and Chandler Smith, the only two Sunoco Rookie of the Year candidates from that 21-21 class to make it into that postseason. Hosevar joins uh, Smith this season as the ninth and tenth different Sunoco Rookie. And Sharon read all that under under Chandler Smith. So um, mentioned Bell, Byron, Sindrick, Briscoe, Gralla, Ankrum and Zane Smith and Christian Ecke. Ahosovar made his series track debut at Worldwide Technology Raceway at Gateway last season, started 16th and finished 15th. Stats on the year in 15 races, no race wins or stage wins, but three top fives and five top tens, no DNFs. His driver rating is a 82.8. 
average running position of 15.263, and seven laps led. Okay, next up we have three-time series champion from 2013, 14, and 19, and Thor Sport Racing driver Matt Crafton, who's in the number 88 Toyota. He enters the uh, Truck Series playoffs as the seventh seed with 2,004 points. He's 45 markers behind Nemechek in the series point standings lead. Now, the 2021 season marks the sixth time that Crafton has competed in the Truck Series playoffs, and he is the only driver in the, in the Truck Series history to compete in all six playoff seasons from 2016 through 2021. A three-time NASCAR Camping World Truck Series champion from 2013, 14, and 19, and the only driver in series history to win titles in both the playoff era, 2016 to the present, and the fire points format from 1995, through 2015. Now, Crafton has appeared in the NASCAR Truck Camping World Truck Series Championship four rounds times in 16, 17, and 19, and that's tied with Brett Moffat and Johnny Sauter for the series' most championship four-round appearances, and that's three apiece. Crafton finished fifth last year in the playoffs. He's made 17 starts at Worldwide Technology Raceway at Gateway. He's posted two top fives and nine top tens. His average finish at the 1.25-mile track is 12.6. In 15 starts this year, he has two top fives, seven top tens, one DNF, and a driver rating of 90.4. The average running position is 12.623, and he's led a total of 14 laps. The sixth seed, that would be GMS Racing Zane Smith in the number 21, 21 Chevrolet. He's got 2,009 points, 40 points down from the standings lead, but just two points back from GMS Racing teammate Sheldon Creed, who's fifth. Smith is coming off an impressive rookie season in 2020 that saw him make the playoffs and earn a spot in the championship four round, ultimately finishing the season runner-up in the championship, and taking home the Sunoco Rookie of the Year Award. This season, Smith returns for his second career appearance in the postseason. Zane Smith has made two starts at Worldwide Technology Raceway at Gateway, posting one top five and two top ten. The average finish at the 1.25-mile track is 6.0, just second best among playoff drivers. On the year in 15 starts, doesn't have a race win, but three stage wins, He has one top five and ten top tens, along with one DNF. Driver rating is at 96.3. His average running position is 10.111 and led a total of 47 laps. The 2020 Series champion and GMS racing driver Sheldon Creed in the number two Chevrolet is in the number five seed with 2011 points. 38 markers back from Lima Check who's in the standing lead and just four points behind Gilliland for six and four. Now, Creed, in his first appearance in the series playoffs last season, rallied off two wins at Texas and the season finale at Phoenix. He made the championship four rounds and won the title. This year marks his second go at the postseason. Creed has made two starts at Worldwide Technology Raceway at Gateway, posting one win that was last year 
one top five and two top ten. His average finish at the 1.25-mile track is 4.0. That's the best among all the playoff drivers. Now, in 15 starts, he has the one-race win, one-stage win, six top fives and seven top tens, along with three DNFs. He has a driver rating of 98.4 and an average running position of 11.936, and he's led a total of 109 laps. Front Row Motorsports' Todd Dillon in the number 38 Ford enters the playoffs as a number four seed, 2,015 points, 34 points behind leader John Hunter Nemechek, four points behind third, which is Ben Rhodes. This is Gillen's first appearance in the Camping World Truck Series playoffs. His previous best finish in the championship standings was 10th, which he did twice in 2018 and 2020. Gilliland's made four starts at Worldwide Raceway Te- Worldwide Technology Raceway at Gateway, posting two top fives. Uh, his average finish at the 1.25-mile track, a 12.3. On the year, 15 races, he does have one win and three stage wins. He's got a total of seven top fives and 11 top tens with one DNF. That gives him a driver rating of 102.3. Average running position is 9.988 and led 52 laps. Okay, very quickly, since we're at the end of our time segment here, I'm going to go over these next three drivers and just give you their year-to-date stats. Uh, Ben Rhodes is the number three seed at 2019 points. He has 15 starts with two race wins, one stage win, five top fives, 11 top tens, no DNF. His driver rating is 98.2. His average running position is 9.805, and he's led 68 laps. Austin Hill from Atory Racing Enterprises in 15 starts has two race wins, uh, one stage win, seven top five, 12 top tens, and no DNFs. His driver rating is 103.5. He has an average running position of 8.738, and he's led 48 laps. He's in the number two seed at 20,021 points. John Hunter Nemechek is the series points leader and the regular season champion. Uh, in, he's the number one seed at 2,049 points. In 15 starts, he has the five race wins, nine stage wins, nine top five, 12 top tens, and one DNF. His driver rating is 117. Point zero. His average running position is 5.886, and he's led a total of 487 laps, the best stack of the entire series. Okay, now we're going to go ahead and move on to the Xfinity Series, Jay. Uh, I'm sorry we had to cut that a little tight. <laughs> but uh, anyway, we're going to get into the Xfinity Series now. The New Holland 250 will take place at Michigan on Saturday, August the 21st at 3.30 p.m. Eastern Time. NBC Sports Network will have a three-race coverage starting at 3 p.m., along with radio coverage on MRN and Sirius XM NASCAR Channel 90. They'll be racing a distance of 250 miles over 125 laps. Stage 1 ends on lap 30. Stage 2 is also 30 laps, ending on lap 60. And the final stage ends on the last lap, lap 125. So I believe that's 85 laps. 
Or no, that's what? 65 watts. When we talk about uh, first thing up here is capitalizing on, on an opportunity. Uh, Josh Berry is going to race full-time for tw- in 2022 for Junior Motorsports. They made the announcement this week he will drive f- full-time in the NASCAR Xfinity Series competition beginning in 2022. The 30-year-old Berry will pilot the number eight Chevrolet in pursuit of the NASCAR Xfinity Series championship uh, based on his performance this year, we knew it was going to happen with the team here sooner or later, and Junior Motorsports locked him up. But just real quick, we also had news to that same June. In the truck series, with Carson Hosepar announcing a return to Nice Motorsports full-time in 2022. Uh, and so he's one of the two Sunoco Rookie of the Year candidates to make the playoffs this year. And through 15 races of the uh, season, He's earned three top five and five top ten finishes. So good news there for Carson Postavon as well in the truck series. Those dominoes are starting to fall. On the Xfinity series mm-hmm. there, Team Penske's Austin Sindrick already knows what he's doing next year. But right now, he grabbed his fifth win and eyes the regular season title for 2020. He is, or 2021. And he is the 2020 NASCAR Xfinity Series champion and Team Penske, Penske driver Austin Sindrick is on a feverish pace this season as well, posting his fifth victory in just his 22nd start of the season, opening up his points lead on A.J. Allmendinger in second in the driver's standings to a stout 82 markers. The next goal for the former series champion Sindrick is to lock up that regular season title and the 15 additional playoff points that go with it. Uh, Sindrick has already accumulated 33 playoff points, which is the most of any driver this season. If he accomplishes the feat, he will become the first driver in the Xfinity Series to win multiple regular season championships. Right now, he is one of four. Austin Sindrick uh, did it last year. Tyler Reddick did it in 2019. Justin Allgaier was in 2018, and Elliot Sadler back in 2017. Okay, now we'll take a look at some clinch scenarios here with five to go in the regular season. Seven playoff positions are still up for grabs, as just five drivers have secured their spots in the Xfinity Series postseason playoffs heading into Michigan International Speedway this weekend. Already clinched the following five drivers, of the 12-driver postseason field include Austin Sendrick, A.J. Allmendinger, Justin Algauer, Jeff Burton, and Maya Snyder. Those drivers are already clinched into the playoffs. Now, these drivers can clinch with a win uh, alone this weekend. That includes Daniel Hemrick, Harrison Burton, Justin Haley, Noah Gregson, Brandon Jones, Jeremy Clements, Riley Earps, Brandon Brown, and Ryan Seeds. The following drivers can clinch with some help, and that includes Tommy Joe Martin, Alex LeBay, Landon Castle, and Josh Williams. So that is your clinch scenarios for the Xfinity Series with five races to go. Well, and it could be interesting. Some of those drivers you mentioned haven't necessarily won at Michigan, and the different winner streak at Michigan has seen 10 different Xfinity Series winners. So could we see an 11th this weekend? 
MIS is currently riding that different winner streak in the NASCAR Xfinity Series that has hit 10 different winners, dates back to 2010. This weekend, the New Holland 250 on Saturday, August 21st. It'll start at 3.30 p.m. Eastern time and being covered on NBCSN, MRN, and SiriusXM NASCAR Radio has the chance to produce that 11th different winner and keep that streak going. Only one former winner has entered into this weekend, and that's Tyler Reddick, who grabbed a victory in 2019. So the odds are in favor of it. Uh, the streak of different winners began back in 2010, as I mentioned, with Brad Keselowski, then Carl Edwards in 2011. 2012 was Joey Logano. Regan Smith picked up the 2013 win. Paul Menard in 2014. Kyle Busch in 2015. Daniel Suarez was the winner in 2016. Then it was Denny Hamlin in 17. Austin Dillon in 18. Mentioned Tyler Reddick in 2019. And we got to skip 2020 because the series did not compete there uh, last season due to the pandemic. Two different drivers, and I didn't get this one. It was on Race Hub today. Two different drivers in NASCAR Xfinity Series history have recorded their first wins at Michigan International Speedway. Uh, Ryan Newman did it in 2001, and 2016 Xfinity Series champion Daniel Suarez did it in that championship year of 2016. Sharon, are you on mute? I am on mute. I apologize. Uh, With five races remaining in the Xfinity Series regular season, a lot can happen to shake up the standings, and one of the best places for that to take place is this weekend's Michigan International Speedway as we count down to the playoffs. Uh, The Xfinity Series returns to the Irish Shields of Michigan for the 23rd race this season, the New Holland 250 that will take place on Saturday. Uh, The series did not compete at Michigan last year because of the pandemic, the first time since adding the track to the schedule in 1992. Now, this weekend's new Michigan International Speedway is a two-mile paved oval and has hosted uh, the NASCAR Xfinity Series 28 times dating back to the inaugural race on August the 15th of 1992. The first Xfinity race at Michigan was won by Todd Bodine. He was driving a Chevrolet for car owner Frank Sisi with an average finish, well, I'm sorry, an average speed of 125.414 miles per hour. In total, there are 20 different drivers that have won the Xfinity Series race at Michigan, led by eight different drivers with two victories each. Those drivers are Todd Bodine in 92 and 2000, Kyle Busch in 04 and 15, Dale Earnhardt Jr. in 1999 and 2006, Denny Hamlin in 07 and 17, Carl Edwards in 2008 and 11, Brad Kozlowski in 2009 and 10, and Mark Martin in 2000, I'm sorry, 1993 and 1995. Ryan Newman in 2001 and 5. Only one of the 20 former Xfinity Michigan winners is entered this weekend, and that is Tyler Reddick, 
who is also the most recent winner of the track, taking the checkered flag, not last year, but the year before, in 2009, is piloting the number 23-hour motorsports Chevrolet this Saturday. Now, a total of 22 different NASCAR Xfinity Series drivers have qualified on the pole at Michigan, and it's led by three drivers with two poles apiece. Kyle Busch in 2014 and 17, Austin Hill in 2012 and 13, Paul Menard in 2011 and 19, and due to COVID-19 restrictions, this season's starting lineups for the New Holland 250 will be decided by the metric qualifying. And as a result of that, Austin Sendrick is on the pole and is joined by A.J. Allmendinger on the front row. Now, only three of the 28 Xfinity Series races at Michigan have been won from the pole or the first starting position. The most recent driver to accomplish that feat is Brad Keselowski, who did it in 2010. The deepest in the field that an Xfinity Series race winner has started at Michigan is 38, and that was done by Ryan Newman in 2005. So a lot of really good info there for the Xfinity Series and their race. Uh, they still have five races to go, so there's there's still some time for these guys to make it into the playoffs, but the clock is ticking. It certainly is, and unfortunately, I, I know it wasn't in our notes, but uh, I know we shared the information this afternoon, uh, or what I saw it was uh, Josh Berry going to be filling in in the number one junior motor sports yes. Chevrolet, as Michael Annette has opted to sit out another race uh, due to his injury still recovering for it. So maybe came back a little bit too early uh, at Watkins Glen, but has sat out the last two now, and Josh Berry will be filling in once again. Okay, so that's good to hear as well. Okay, next up we have, uh, we're ahead of schedule here, so that's a good thing. Uh, but the next thing we have up here is the Firekeepers Casino 400 at Michigan International Speedway. That's this Sunday, August the 22nd at 3 p.m. Eastern Time. Now, TV coverage will be on NBC Sports Network, uh, and their pre-race coverage starts at 2 o'clock. Eastern with radio coverage on MRN and Sirius XM NASCAR Radio Channel 90. They'll be racing a distance of 400 miles over 200 laps. The first two stages are 60 laps apiece with stage one ending on lap 60, stage two on lap 120, and the last stage ends on the last lap, lap 200, and that will be an 80-lap stage. Well, the streak we're going to look at here for the Cup Series is a little different as it's Ford that looks to keep a win streak alive at Michigan. The manufacturer enters this weekend having won the last six consecutive NASCAR Cup Series races at Michigan International Speedway, ranging from 2018 to 2020. And this weekend will look to keep that streak alive, which is the longest consecutive streak of wins by a manufacturer at the uh, two-mile uh, facility. Kevin Harvick has won four of the last six races for Ford, including the last three consecutively. And that includes the second race in 2018. Or, I'm yeah, the second race in 2018. That don't make sense. 
two races in the, 2018, two races in 2019, and the 2020 sweep. I guess. That would be seven races, though. That's why I said that doesn't add up uh, quite right, but... Yeah, yeah, having victories doesn't. in 2018, well, 2019. Two races. Okay, that's six races. Oh, in the four, four of them, including the last three. Okay, uh, now I follow. You're right. He, the victories came two in 2018, two of them in 2019, the second being uh, the, the last one, and then the 2020 sweep, because I think they ran more than two there at Michigan. Uh, Joey Logano mm-hmm. has one in 2019 and Clint Boyer won in 2018 as well, the other drivers that have contributed to the winning um, streak. Now, eight different manufacturers have won in the NASCAR Cup Series at Michigan. It is led by Ford with 41 victories. Chevrolet is following them with 26. Mercury has 12. Dodge, 9. Toyota, 5. Buick, 4. Pontiac, 4. And Oldsmobile, 2. Okay. Now, there's been some news here about Cornelia Joy that we'll talk about on Hot Topics probably as well. Uh, but this news was also announced. NASCAR driver Cornelia Joy has been named the, named the Speedway Children's Charity Ambassador. In his sixth season racing in the Cup Series, Cornelia Joy was named the official ambassador for Speedway Children's Charities. Uh, It was founded in 1982 by Speedway Motorsports Executive Chairman O. Bruton-Smith. Speedway Children's Charity has established eight chapters across the country and paired with Speedway Motorsports facilities at Atlanta Motor Speedway, Bristol, Charlotte Motor Speedway, Kentucky, Las Vegas, New Hampshire, and Sonoma Raceway along with Texas Motor Speedway. Through a variety of fundraising efforts, chapters have raised more than $59 million since the nonprofit's inception to distribute within their local communities. As a Speedway Children's Charity Ambassador, LaJoy will appear in Speedway Children's Charity marketing and advertising materials and serve as a spokesman uh, for events and cross-promote the SBC news and events on his social media channels among other responsibilities. Now, it was also announced today, Jay, that Corey LaJoy is in quarantine this weekend because he is unvaccinated and has been exposed uh, to COVID-19. So uh, because he is unvaccinated, uh, NASCAR mandates that he needs to quarantine for at least seven days, and then he has to have a positive test before, I mean, a negative test before he can return to racing. Well, and with that, too, uh, goes several other storylines, and I know you have that listed on the hot topics. He has applied for the waiver uh, from NASCAR, yeah. which we assume being that this one is a uh, uh, due to the pandemic would be granted, but that means he has to win at Michigan. Uh, and no surprise here, the fill-in, Josh Berry getting his second Cup Series <laughs> start. That is correct. Okay. Thank you for completing that. Yeah. I'm going to look at Michigan natives Keslowski and Jones as they are returning home. A 2012 NASCAR Cup Series champion and Team Penske driver Brad Keslowski comes from Rochester Hills, Michigan, 
And then Richard Petty Motorsports, Eric Jones, is from Byron, Michigan. So they're returning home this weekend to compete at Michigan International Speedway. We have a total of 100 diff- 101 different drivers in NASCAR National Series history to have their home state recorded as Michigan, and nine of the 101 have won at least one race in the NASCAR National Series. Michigan drivers have combined to win 158 NASCAR National Series races. Keselowski has won a combined 75 NASCAR National Series races, the most by any driver from Michigan. With that, Brad Keselowski's got 35 Cup Series wins, 39 Xfinity, and one truck for that total of 75. Paul Goldsmith has nine Cup Series wins. Eric Jones has two Cup Series wins, nine Xfinity Series, and seven trucks for a total of 18. Also with 18, and I saw a couple of these, one, uh, Johnny Benson, one Cup, three Xfinity, and 14 trucks for a total of 18. Tim, Wieda, Tim Fidua has a total of four, all coming in the Xfinity Series. Butch Miller uh, has a total of two, or I'm sorry, a total of three. Two coming in the Xfinity Series, one in the Truck Series. Tracy Leslie has one in the Xfinity Series for his total of one. Jack Sprague, a total of 29. One coming in the Xfinity Series and 28 coming in the Truck Series. And then Bob Keselowski uh, also picked one up in the Truck Series. That's a total of 47 in the Cup Series, 59 in the Xfinity, and 52 in the Truck Series for the total of 158 for Michigan drivers. Now, next to Martin Truex, uh, Jr.'s 30 winless starts at Michigan. Brad Keselowski has made the second most starts among active drivers at Michigan without the trip to victory lane at 23. His 23 starts, he has put up seven top fives and 12 top tens, including three runner-up finishes coming in 2012, 18, and 20. His average finish of 12.6 is fifth best among active drivers. Now, Eric Jones has only made eight starts at Michigan, but he has posted one top five, which was the third in 2017. His average finish is 16.3, which is ninth best among active drivers. His best finish at the two races at Michigan last season was 11th. Okay. Uh, up next, we have Michigan offering a great opportunity for Kevin Harvick to snap his winless streak. Now, last season, uh, the Cup Series leader in wins was Stuart Haas Racing's Kevin Harvick, and this weekend he's returning to Michigan International Speedway winless, uh, but hoping that he can not only snap his winless streak, but also tie NASCAR Hall of Famer Bill Elliott for the series' most consecutive wins at Michigan. Harvick has won four of the last five races at Michigan, including the last three consecutively, while becoming the first driver in series history to win on back-to-back days at the same track. Now, NASCAR Hall of Famer Bill Elliott holds the record for the most consecutive wins in the Cup Series at Michigan with four victories. In 1995, he swept, and again in 1990. 86, he swept. A total of 10 drivers has posted consecutive wins at Michigan International Speedway. Bobby Allison had a 1971 sweep. 
David Pearson the 72 sweep, and again in 1973, he won again in 73. In 74 to 75, he also won. Uh, that's David Pearson. Now, Kelly Yarborough had a 1983 sweep, Bell Elliott an 85 sweep, and an 86 sweep, Bobby Labonte a 95 sweep, Mark Martin did it in 97 to 98, Ryan Newman between 2003 and 4, Greg Biffle between 2004 and 5, and again in 2012 and 13. Cal Larson won three straight at Michigan in 2016 and 17. And Kevin Harvick uh, have wins there from 2019, 20, and 2020. He has two. With a win this weekend, Harvick can tie Elliott's record. Now, Michigan is one of Harvick's best playgrounds. He's made 40 starts at the two-mile facility, posting five wins, 15 top fives, and 21 top tens. He also leads or is ranked in the top five of several key pre-race loop data categories. He has an average finish of 9.7, that's second best, an average running position of 11.317, also second best, and then his driver rating of 102.5 is the series best. He has 425 fastest laps run, which is also a series best, and 4,099 laps in the top 15, which represents 66.8% for the second most. So uh, Kevin Harvick is one of those drivers to keep your eye on this weekend. Uh, if he doesn't win, if it's somebody outside uh, the playoffs right now, it could put him in jeopardy. So a win would be a big thing for Kevin Harvick. It indeed would, and we'll talk about that here with the clinch scenarios as there's two spots left heading into Michigan International Speedway. Now, all but two of those playoff spots have been spoken for as the NASCAR Cup Series prepares for the petulant race of the regular season, the Firekeepers Casino 400 at Michigan International Speedway. Joe Gibbs Racing's Denny Hamlin became the most recent driver to clinch, and he did so on points following Indianapolis. Already clinched, the following 14 drivers have clinched a spot in that 16-driver postseason field. As Kyle Larson mentioned, Denny Hamlin, Kyle Busch, William Byron, Chase Elliott, Joey Logano, Martin Truex, Ryan Blaney, Brad Keselowski, Alex Bowman, Kurt Busch, Christopher Bell, Michael McDowell, and Eric Almarola. All except for Denny Hamlin had done it with wins. Now, the Clinching via points this weekend, if there is a repeat winner or a win by a driver who cannot advance to the playoffs, we have one driver could clinch uh, by being 56 points above the third winless driver in the standings. And that same point requirements listed below would hold true if a new win comes from Danny, Danny Hamlin. And that lone driver would be, as Sharon mentioned, Kevin Harvick. He would clinch with 44 points. The following drivers uh, could clinch with a win alone this weekend, Kevin Harvick, Tyler Reddick, Austin Dillon, Matt DiBenedetto, Chris Busher, Ross Chastain, Ricky Stenhouse, Daryl Wallace Jr., Bubba Wallace, Chase Briscoe, Daniel Soares, Eric Jones, Ryan Newman, Ryan Priest, Cole Custer, or Corey LaJoy is out, uh, but uh, Anthony Alfredo on that list. 
And this is a look, outlook following race number 24 for the drivers who haven't uh, clinched yet. Kevin Harvick is at 733 points. No wins, no stage wins, and no playoff points, and is 95 points up from the cutoff. Tyler Reddick is currently at 666, has three stage wins for three playoff points, is 28 points up. It's his RCR teammate in 17th then. That would be Austin Dillon at 638, 28 points back. No wins or stages for no play, zero playoff points. Matt DiBenedetto at 521 does have a stage win, would carry a point forward. He's 145 back, and I believe that puts him mathematically out because I think it's a 50-some points per race. So these drivers on down have to win. Chris Busher at 520 does have a stage win for one playoff point. Ross Jastain, Keith Stenhouse Jr., Bubba Wallace. Of those, I think Bubba Wallace is the only one with a stage win for a playoff point. Then you have rookie Chase Briscoe, almost did it this past weekend at Indy. Daniel Suarez, Eric Jones, Ryan Newman, Ryan Priest, Cole Custer, and mentioned Corey LaJoy, not uh, in this weekend's race, and Anthony Alfredo. And that's your top 30 in points. And none of those drivers have any playoff points they would even carry forward. So they would start at the very bottom, but they would get into the playoffs. Okay. Now, the, let's talk about the regular season championship. Larson could actually clench that title this weekend uh, from Hendrick Motorsports as he opened up his points lead over Joe Gibbs Racing's Denny Hamlin in second in the Cup Series regular season driver standings by 22 points. And he now has a chance this weekend at Michigan to clinch the regular season championship. All Larson needs to do is to be at least 61 points ahead of the driver ranked second in the Cup Series regular season driver standings at the end of the race at Michigan. Currently, Denny Hamlin holds out at second spot in the point standings. Now, it's going to be tough to Larson to accumulate that many points on Hamlin this weekend at Michigan because both have run very well at the two-mile track. Larson has made 12 starts at Michigan, He's posted three wins there in 2016 and a 17th sweep. He has five top fives and six top tens. His average finish is 12.4, which is fourth best among the active drivers. Hamlin has made 30 starts at Michigan, putting up two wins in 2010 and 2011. He has nine top fives and 15 top tens. His average finish is a 13.1, which is sixth best among active drivers. Now, this points battle could come down to the regular season finale at Daytona to see who will take home the trophy and the 15 additional playoff points. Denley Hamlin has made 31 starts at the World Center of Racing, grabbing three wins, all in the Daytona 500 in 2016, 19, and 20. He also has 11 top fives, 12 top tens, and his average finish at the track is a 16.0. Kyle Larson has made 14 starts at Daytona, posting five top tens, and his average finish at the track is 21.1. Now, if Larson or Hamlin wins the 2021 NASCAR Cup Series regular season championship, the winner will become just the fourth different driver in series history to win that prestigious award. So Kyle Busch, 
uh, was ranked number one. Uh, he did it, uh, has two titles, 2019 and 18. Kevin Harvick is ranked second. He has one title. Uh, that was in 2020. And Martin Truex has a title in 2017. So uh, some, uh, some more interesting stats as it relates to the leaders uh, for that cha- regular season championship trophy. Well, and we talked about it. It's two to go as the NASCAR Cup Series heads into the Irish Hills of Michigan. It's a penchant NASCAR Cup Series regular season race has arrived. Michigan International Speedway has set the stage for the Firekeepers Casino 400 this Sunday, August 22nd, 3 p.m. Eastern. Coverage is on NBCSN, MRN, and Sirius XM Radio, which is Channel 90. With just those two races remaining in the regular season, the playoffs loom, and the competitors know time is running out to secure that spot in the postseason, making these 400 miles at Michigan that much more pivotal. Now, Michigan International Speedway sits on more than 1,400 acres in what's known as the Irish Hills of southeastern Michigan. Groundbreaking for the facility took place back on September 28, 1967, and the two-mile asphalt paved track with 18 degrees of banking in the turns was created, the only track with the dimensions on the schedule, with those dimensions on the schedule. The first NASCAR Cup Series race at Michigan was held in June 15, 1969, and the event was won by NASCAR Hall of Famer Cale Yarbrough, coming in the Wood Brothers number 21 Mercury at a speed of 139.254 miles per hour. The first NASCAR Cup Series race at Michigan was 500 miles in length, and the second was scheduled for 600. Now, the track was remeasured to 2.04 miles for the last race in 1970, and both races in 1971, so the race distance was being 402 miles. All other races have been scheduled for 400 miles, except for last season's races that were 312 miles and run on consecutive days. MIS has hosted a total of 103 NASCAR Cup Series races. Other than in 1973, which just had one race, There have been two races each season since 1969. The 2021 season is just the second season to host just one Cup Series event, along with 1973, since MIS and the track joined the schedule back in 1969. We've had a total of 38 different drivers that have won the NASCAR Cup Series at Michigan International. A NASCAR Hall of Famer, David Pearson leads the way in series in the series with wins at Michigan with a total of nine victories. And that came in 1969, a 72 sweep, won one in 73, 74, 75, and then picked up the 76 sweep as well as winning again in 1978. And Kevin Harvick, we mentioned, leads all active series drivers in wins at Michigan with five in 2010, 18, 19, and then the first one and or for two of them in 2020 on back-to-back days. Now, seven of the 38 NASCAR Cup Series race winners at Michigan are entered this weekend. Mentioned Kevin Harvick with five. Joey Logano has three, along with Kurt Busch, Kyle Larson, Denny Hamlin, Ryan Newman each have a pair, 
and then Kyle Busch has won. A total of 50 different drivers have qualified on the pole at MIS in the NASCAR Cup Series, again led by NASCAR Hall of Famer David Pearson. Uh, with poles, he has 10 coming in 79, a 74 sweep, 1975, 76, and 77 sweep, along with the sweep in 78, and then one in 1979. Active uh, drivers, that would be Joey Logano. He's got 2013, 2016 sweep, and one in 2019 for polls at Michigan with four. And due to the COVID-19 restrictions, this season's lineup, starting lineups for the Firekeepers Casino 400, decided by the metric qualifying. As a result, Kyle Larson will start on the pole and be joined by Hendrick Motorsports teammate Chase Elliott on the front row. The first starting position in the, is the most proficient starting position in the field, producing more winners, uh, 22, than any other starting position at MIS. 21 from the pole and one from the first starting position due to qualifying being canceled. Uh, 1985 is Bill Elliott, uh, the most recent driver to win from the pole at Michigan, was Joey Logano in 2019. The deepest in the field the race winner has started at Michigan is 32nd, and that was by NASCAR Hall of Famer Mark Martin. He did it in the spring of 2009. So there's your stats for Michigan International Speedway this weekend's race setup. Yes, indeed. Okay, now we're just about ready to get into NASCAR Hot Topic Sound Off at the top of the hour. But, Jay, I thought maybe we could uh, maybe – give an update on our fantasy racing group. And uh, we may go past the top of the hour with that update, but uh, let's go ahead and give it a shot. All right. For the truck series, all three series racing this weekend, so we're getting ready to do some changing. But right now, the truck series, Sharon's leading that with 62 points. Uh, Slim margin, three points over Andy, myself, and Mike, as we're sitting at 59. Tommy's at 54, Owen at 51, Sam at 38, and James at 34. So 28 points difference there from top to bottom in the truck series. Let me slide up to the Xfinity series. Another rather slim lead. Mike is leading the Xfinity series, 83 total points. Andy's at 79. I'm at 78 along with Sam. James is at 69. Owen at 68, along with Sharon at 68, and Tommy at 67. That one's only a 16-point difference top to bottom. On the cup side, I have a point lead, and I mean that literally. I have 118 points. Sam is at 117. Mike is at 109. Owen at 106. Sharon at 105. And just under there, Tommy's at 95. James is at 93. And Andy at 52. That one's a 48, 66-point lead top to bottom. Add those up if you can do it real quick. If not, I'll give you the totals. (laughs) Uh, I'm at 255 points total. Mike is at 251, so a four-point lead. Sharon's at 235. Sam right behind her at 233. Owen at 225. Tommy at 216, James at 196, and Andy at 190. So 
So total top to bottom overall is only 65 points. Truck Series, we're already into the playoffs. So this weekend there, 16 points available per race, eight in the other two series. None of these numbers are out of reach. Uh, We have decided nothing at this point other than close battles all the way to the end. Okay, so it's going to be interesting and a lot of fun to watch this play out, Uh, especially as we get into the playoffs, which we are doing this weekend with the Truck Series. So, yeah, I'm very excited about that. Uh, When you did it, Jay, I'm impressed. You did it inside uh, our regular time slot here, so we didn't have any carryover. That's fantastic. Thank you for uh, keeping track of that for us. I was going to say it was real easy, being that they were all that close and all the numbers were the same. (laughs) (laughs) Yep, it's been really a close battle this year and uh, always a lot of fun. Uh, It makes it a lot more fun watching the race because I'm always looking at it and saying, okay, who do I need to beat (laughs) with the picks this year? Now, we've got people that have already picked for this weekend. Uh, I don't know if we have time to do that. Probably not. But uh, maybe maybe uh, we can do it later on tonight because uh, we're pretty close to being done, aren't we? Yeah, I know uh, the truck series. We only have three le- three picks left. Uh, Andy's got Todd Gillen, James John Hunter Nemechek, Owen Zane Smith, Sam Sheldon Creed, and Sharon Ben Rhodes. So we got three left there. Xfinity Series, we only have two picks in so far. James has Reddick, and Tommy has Ty Gibbs. And the Cup mm-hmm. Series, I think Owen's the only one left. I'll run those down real quick. Andy, a given a Chase Briscoe. James took Alex Bowman. I come out with uh, Joey Logano. Mike had Kyle Larson, surprisingly had first pick and didn't take Chase Elliott. So Sam got Chase Elliott. Sharon got her favorite back of Martin Truex. And Tommy, we talked about it, believes in Kevin Harvick breaking that streak. Yeah, it's kind of interesting because uh, I read in the notes here tonight that uh, in 30 starts, Martin Truex is winless. I think he's going to break that streak this weekend. Well, there you go. It all starts with faith. (laughs) It does. Okay, uh, hold on. It's been so long since... uh, Andy has called in. I'm giving him the number here so that he can call in. But we do have with us uh, Tommy Kraft. So welcome to the show, Tommy. Hey, thanks for having me back. Yes, thanks for having me. Okay, it's always great to have you, Tommy. We're very happy to have you here. All right, so... um, with the, we've gotten the number to uh, Jay, so uh, definitely looking forward to uh, chatting with him. Uh, I mean, to we got the message to Andy, and there he is. Welcome back to the show, Andy. Well, thank you, Sharon. It's been so long. Sorry I had to message you for the number, but uh, I didn't have it in my recent um, phone numbers. So um, I guess it's been way too long since I've been on here, but... Glad it finally worked out to be able to come on and and talk some racing. It has been way too long. And, Andy, we're going to give you first shots at our first hot topic tonight. Then we'll go to Tommy, Jay, and um, myself. 
Sounds good. Yeah, uh, kind of an unfortunate one, but uh, Corey LaJoy is going to miss this weekend due to um, COVID-19 protocols. Josh Berry set to take over the number seven Chevy for Spire Motorsports. So kind of curious what everyone thought about that. Okay, Tommy, what do you have to say? Uh, unfortunate for Corey. I'm sure NASCAR will grant it because it's only going to be one race that he misses. And maybe he does get fortunate enough to win the 500. <laughs> so that's why he won't be, um, won't be eligible still. So that's why he's applying. Um, Josh Berry's lucky. He just got announced full-time in the eight car for junior motorsports. And now he's got his going to do a second cup start. So, um good for him and uh, unfortunate for Corey and uh, hopefully Corey gets the uh, playoff waiver so that way he can have a chance at the um, Daytona to get in the playoffs. Jay, exactly. Jay, your thoughts? Yeah, from my understanding, and this is really one of those, I know NASCAR has been a front leader with the, the COVID protocols. They'd already implemented some. I know they're making some more changes again uh, this weekend as far as, uh, mm-hmm. what do you call it, uh, mass gathering or, or whatever, uh, drivers won't be as available. They're not allowed in the suites indoors for VIP representation. Uh, again, it, it's, a, it's a struggle. I know it's not ideal, but NASCAR is trying to do the best they can. And this one falls under that. Uh, I don't even know if Corey LaJoy had tested positive, but somebody that did test positive, he was exposed to having him on his podcast so that requires the seven-day quarantine if you are non-vaccinated. Uh, if he had been vaccinated, he could have tested again uh, in three to five days, come back with that negative test, and been okay. So you, you have to applaud NASCAR for having the standards and adhering to them. It is unfortunate for Corey LaJoy, and, and I'm with Tommy. I think he will get that waiver granted. I don't see why they would not. And he's still got that one shot at Daytona, which we know anybody can capitalize um, on. From the from the negative side, you always have the positive side. Uh, this year, I know it won't always be the case uh, as he's going full-time next year, but right now, Josh Berry seems to be that super sub that used to be Reagan Smith as he got two calls this weekend to fill in. Yeah, that's um... – that's uh, pretty amazing. Uh, I do feel bad for Corey Joy. Uh, I wish he had been vaccinated because uh, then he would have had a chance to be racing this weekend at Michigan. Uh, and I agree with you guys that he probably will get the waiver from NASCAR if they follow the, the same path that they've been taking in these situations. Um, uh, it, it, and it, you explained it, Jay, that uh, – uh, it's because he was exposed to someone that requires a seven-day quarantine uh, because he's unvaccinated. Uh, and Corey LaJoy has just as much chance as anybody else to win at Daytona. So I uh, certainly understand why they would be uh, requesting that waiver, and, and I anticipate that they will get it. Um, so... It just makes it very interesting. I'm happy for Josh Berry for him to get another chance to to race in the Cup Series, and uh, he's also was announced full time in the Xfinity Series for next year. So, uh, all good news for uh, Josh Berry 
and uh, I can't wait to see what he does on the track this weekend. So, Andy, your thoughts? Yeah, it's unfortunate, obviously. Um, anytime a driver has to miss a race for any particular reason, is um, it's unfortunate. So you hate to see that. And, um, you know, fortunately for Corey, he can get that waiver and get the opportunity to go for a win uh, at Daytona, like what Jay just said, anyone can and, and likely will be able to, to contend for that win. So certainly a setback for that team and, and their chances. But if we're to be realistic about it, you know, as far as winning a race, Daytona is probably that team's best chance anyway. So, um, you know, certainly they'll have an opportunity to try to make the playoffs like uh everyone else will next week, which is going to make that race uh, pretty crazy for sure. But um, in any event, yeah, you, you certainly hate to see anyone out. I hadn't heard that it was due to being vaccinated versus unvaccinated. So that's unfortunate for sure. But um, in any event, uh, hopefully he doesn't get sick and, and hopefully he'll be good to go next week. Okay. Any follow-up from you, Tommy? Uh, Josh Berry also got announced a sponsor yesterday or today as well. Um, so more good news for him and another cup start for him. Um, I've never really watched Stacking Pennies, uh, Corey LaJoy's podcast, or listened to it. But um, I've seen on Twitter or heard on Twitter that, I mean, it sounds good, so maybe I should watch it. It's just unfortunate this was going to cause him to miss the race. But, um, yeah, he definitely has a chance that next week. Um, at Daytona, that's going to be crazy, like Andy said. I can't wait. Okay, Jay, your follow-up. Well, my follow-up would be uh, is, is how this affects the playoffs. I know we talked about this some last year as we did have one or two drivers uh, that were in situations where it could be affected. Protocols in place how more, how uh, drivers and team reacts to protect their drivers to ensure they don't have this happen during the playoffs. Um, you know, it's unfortunate with sponsor events, people on pit road, and the interaction we as NASCAR fans have come to enjoy, that how limited, limited that is going to be. But these teams are really going to have to protect their drivers as best they can, uh, not just through the vaccination, but on-track intera- interactions. So... It'll be interesting to see how much they do protect them uh, throughout the race weekend here through the playoffs to protect that playoff status. Yes, indeed. I, I really don't want us to be shut down again, and I know everybody is trying to do everything they possibly can to avoid that from happening. Uh, so, uh, again, I give kudos, uh, just as you did, Jay, uh, to NASCAR for putting these protocols into place. Uh, to protect their drivers, and I think it's the right thing to do. Uh, as difficult as it is for us as fans, uh, because we like that interaction with the NASCAR drivers, um, it's what makes NASCAR NASCAR and sets it apart from other sports. So uh, it's always hard when that's taken away from us, but uh, I, I do feel that NASCAR is doing the right thing. So uh, hopefully they'll... they'll uh, uh, keep everybody safe, and we'll be able to watch a uh, fun playoff season for all of these series. So, Andy, your final thoughts? Yeah, I thought Jay brought up a really good point there that it is going to be interesting to see how uh, teams will manage their drivers going into the playoffs because that that fan and sponsor activation 
at the racetrack is so important, um, especially from the sponsor standpoint of, of having that VIP access and, and having the hospitality and having that driver available. But at the same time, um, it's even more impactful if that driver, especially a playoff driver, misses a race and therefore can't advance into the next round of the playoffs because of that potential activation with, with, with people that could lend themselves to um, either getting sick or being exposed. So it's, it is kind of a, a slippery slope, if you will. But, um, you know, as much as even me personally, you know, hate to see the restrictions coming back a little bit, it, deep down, you know, that it's for a good cause. And so, um, Obviously, I think what's most important, even, you know, for a sponsor and team standpoint is is making sure that driver remains healthy so they can go and run all the remaining races uh, before the off season. So, um, but it will be interesting to see, you know, if any of that even comes to fruition, hopefully it doesn't. I'd certainly hate to see, you know, a top driver get, uh, get, um, quickly removed from the playoffs because of, of something silly like a COVID-19 protocol. So um, we'll see how that plays out. Hopefully it's a non-factor, but it is it is kind of an interesting fine line between trying to interact with fans and sponsors versus missing the race because of that interaction. So hopefully uh, hopefully it doesn't become an, a thing, and, and hopefully um, you know drivers can just remain healthy and, and get through the rest of the season. Uh, they, they are really going above and beyond uh, with that uh, protocol, and, and again, I really applaud them for doing that. Uh, Tommy, your final, your uh, next topic. What do you want to bring up? Let's go with uh, Carson um, uh, Horse Cavar to return to the Truck Series in East Motorsports in 2022. Okay. Uh, Carson Hosevar, Jay, what are your thoughts? Uh, Again, this is one, how can you not? Uh, He has shown the talent as a rookie, made it into the playoffs. His progression that he has shown as such a young driver has been very good. Um, Doesn't have the win yet, but not all drivers come out and win as 18-year-olds as some others. Some do, but... I feel he has shown some great, tremendous uh, talent, improvement. He made the playoffs in his, in his rookie season and is still battling for that uh, spot with uh, Chandler Smith as rookie of the year and the best rookie in the truck series. And we'll see how he does here in the playoffs. So uh, I'm glad that, that he's gotten that opportunity. We see that so much of a young driver. Maybe if they don't come out winning out the gate, they get pushed aside because that standard has been set by others uh, to come out and win right out the gate, to see Nice Motorsports give him that chance and bring him back for next year can only continue to build and, and make things bigger and better. Okay. Uh, Andy, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I'm pretty much going to echo what Jay just said there. Um, Carson is an immense talent. Just watching what he's done in limited starts last year and also – running full-time this season, uh, he continues to get better and better and, and has put himself in position to contend for wins this year. And you have to think that that first win isn't too far off. And 
really good opportunity could be this weekend as a standalone event at Gateway. So um, he's got a bright future, and it's good that he's going to remain with that team. I think that it can help him and the team grow together and uh, feed off what they've learned this season to carry over to next year. And, um, you know, I think that when you look at, um, you know, what he's been able to do, uh, he's really helped elevate the program at Nice Motorsports. Certainly when Ross Chastain jumps in those trucks, he helps um, bring those trucks to life. But I think Carson's done some of the same, and it really has shown, even at 18 years old, what, what kind of talent he is. And, and I think that, uh, you know, that's someone that you could look at as a, as a potential championship contender for next season. So a good move for, for Carson to get some more experience in the truck series. And also um, a really good move for Nice Motorsports for that continuity um, to help the team and driver grow together. And I think that that's someone you've, you've got to keep an eye on moving forward for sure. Definitely. I have to echo what both Andy and Jay have said. Uh, you guys have pretty much said it all. He certainly deserves the opportunity uh, to race full-time again with Nice Motorsports. Uh, and uh, I look forward to seeing what he does for the rest of this season as well as for all of next season. And it's going to be fun to watch him in the truck series. Now that he's got a full year of experience on these tracks in the truck series, uh, I think it's going to be a lot of fun uh, to kind of watch him and see what he does next year. I think he's going to be even better uh, next season. So I'm very excited about that and uh, can't wait to uh, watch him race. Uh, Tommy, what are your thoughts? I actually saw on Twitter the other day where people were saying that Carson and Ross Chastain uh, do really well in the Nice Motorsports equipment where the other guys are actually struggling, like Ryan Truex. And um, I believe Natalie Decker was in it last year, and she she also struggled. But like I said, they pointed out that Carson and Ross run really well in those cars. And I believe Brett Moffitt was in it as well. I don't remember how he did. <laughs> um, but it's awesome for uh, Carson, good for him. Um, hopefully they improve together as a team because, like I said, Truex is struggling in the other car. Um, but uh, excited for him, and hopefully he makes it all the way up through the ranks to extend into the Cup Series eventually in the years to come, and uh, we'll see how it goes. Okay. Um, Jake, your follow-up. Tommy brought up something interesting there. Uh, I believe it was throughout last year we pointed out that Ross Chastain, the only one to really jump in a Nice Motorsports uh, truck and be able to perform at a top level with it. And we wondered why. And I believe that was where Ty Majeski came out of, where they made a driver change. Um, so to see another driver come in, apparently their trucks match a certain driving style, and Carson Hosevar has it. I would like to see Nice maybe be able to make some changes so that any top driver, because we've seen some talented drivers come through there, be able to fit in there. But being that they have a young driver like Carson Hosevar and it is working for him, I don't, I don't want to see that taken away, but also be able to adjust maybe to some other driving styles so that they can continue to build. But I think starting with Carson Hosevar, capitalizing on what they do have with him is a great direction to go. 
we expect him to be there uh, for a year or two, as we've seen most progression go. Uh, maybe then after that, they'll be ready to accept another driver in, or they're going to have to keep searching for that driver that fits their trucks, which uh, normally doesn't work real well, but uh, they have found it in Carson, so that is a good thing. Okay. Uh, Andy, your follow-up? Yeah, it certainly is, to me, a bit of a mystery how, you know, some good drivers like Truex and uh, Brett Moffat have jumped in those trucks and struggled. Um, not really sure why, but, you know, Nice does have good equipment. Um, you know, I think kind of a point I wanted to bring up, and I, we may have talked about it before, was back when when the team made the final four and contended for the championship with Chastain, they were getting GMS support and GMS trucks. The following year, they actually straight up went on their own, building their own stuff, and that was uh, last season, I believe. So um, they've had a lot of growing pains the last year, year and a half, switching basically from GMS equipment to their own equipment. And uh, I think it's just taken them a long time to kind of figure out what they need in their equipment and, and even since then, you know, Ross and Ross and Carson have certainly jumped in and had some good runs, but, you know, I think they're still trying to build their program uh, and get better on their own. So um, I would suspect that as time goes on, they'll continue to improve and get better, and, and maybe, you know, they'll be able to have multiple trucks contending for wins on a weekly basis. Yeah, I don't really have anything to add. You guys are all bringing up really great points. Uh, Tommy, what, what are you – your final thoughts. I remember watching the Darlington truck race, and um, I believe he was up there contending for the win, uh, along with Corey Heim, I believe, if if I remember that correctly, or was there a wreck there at the end that took him out? But I believe Carson was contending at one point. So, um, yeah, just excited for him. And uh, I just saw all that on Twitter, and I had to bring it up because – it was strange that only him and Ross are really the ones that run well without equipment, but just glad it's working for him. Me too. Okay, Jay, you get to bring up the next hot topic. All right. Well, I'm looking through the list here, ones I know we had up on the on the page already so that everybody's familiar with. I just added one if you guys want to take a peek at that while we're uh, going through the rest of them. Um the other one, I think it was Sharon that brought it up, and we just talked about this of – oh, we started with that one, Corey LaJoy. All right, I guess I will bring this one up now then. Uh, Sieg Racing uh, parts ways with crew chief Shane Wilson after NASCAR has suspended him for four races due to a parts failure on the car during the Xfinity Series race. Right, the wheel came off. So, Andy, what are your thoughts about that? That's really too bad. You know, Shane Wilson's a veteran crew chief um, that's had a lot of success across the top three divisions in NASCAR. But I think that this parting of ways may go back deeper than just this one race and this one incident. There have been um, some questionable strategy calls in which he's been left out at the front of the field and, and caused some pretty good sized wrecks because of that strategy, which falls on the crew chief. So, um, you can argue that they've torn up multiple race cars and, and had multiple problems that fall squarely on the crew chief over the past several months. And um, you have to wonder if 
the team maybe decided it was just simply time for a change. And I'm not trying to say this to knock on Shane Wilson. As I said, he's a very successful crew chief. That's, you know, won races in the Cup Series, um, going back to Clint Boyer 10, 11 years ago. Um, you know, has certainly made a positive impact on, on many racing organizations over the years, but it just seems that for whatever reason, things um, weren't quite working out the way they needed to at Ryan Sieg Racing. So uh, they have actually gone back to uh, Kevin Starlin. He's going to take over the reins of that car moving forward. And um, it may just simply be what's best for not only the team, but also the crew chief. You know, and I'm sure Shane will find something to do. Um, I'm, you have to believe that his services will be rendered useful somewhere um, simply because of how good he is and, and what knowledge he can bring possibly to a, a team that's looking to grow and get better and, and try to, you know, perform better. So, um, but just kind of an unfortunate set of circumstances going back the last few months where, you know, there have been some questionable calls and strategy and, and obviously, um, you know, a wheel coming off is not a good thing. So um, just a situation, I think, where it was time to part ways and, and move on. Okay, Tommy, your thoughts? Um, I was just going to say he was suspended four races and then he lost his job. So yeah, that is that is pretty unfortunate. But um, I figured it was probably deeper than just that one incident, like um, Andy was saying. Uh, I thought the name sounded familiar once it was brought up, but um, I can't remember who he used to crew chief. I'm probably going to have to look that up for the. Um, second or my um, final thoughts on it, but um, yeah, it's just uh, uh, the the wheel fell off, and that's why he got suspended, and then he gets fired. Um, really unfortunate, but I do remember that Ryan Sieg made the playoffs last year, and uh, I don't think he has a win yet at the Xfinity level, but he was close a few times last year, I think. Maybe this new crew chief will finally give him that breakthrough win. Yeah, I noticed that too, Tommy. I thought, you know, Ryan Sieg was in the playoffs last year and he wasn't uh, in this maybe situation that he's in this year. And uh, again, it's not, sometimes it just doesn't work out. There might be personality, it might be any number of things. But sometimes it just doesn't work out between a driver and a crew chief, and I think that's the case in this particular situation. Um, uh, it could be their, their communication styles are different. It could be so many different things. But um, I think it's the right thing. I think it was they, they probably did need to make a change. Uh, the wheel coming off of his car was kind of probably – uh, the the straw that broke the camel's back, if you will, because as you guys have mentioned, uh, it's not just this one incident. It's it's a series of incidents uh, that have happened throughout the season, not to mention the fact that Sieg was in the playoffs last year, and this year he, he's uh, kind of borderline as to whether or not he's going to make it. So I hope that that means that we're going to see uh, some of what we saw last year from Ryan Sieg uh, I hope we start seeing that again uh, because I enjoyed seeing Sieg run up in the top ten on a consistent basis last year. And uh, hopefully this is a move uh, that can uh, 
you know, put him back in that position. Again, not a slam against Shane Wilson. Uh, stuff happens, uh, and I'm sure, as Andy has said, he's, he's a good crew chief, a veteran crew chief, and uh, I'm, I'm almost sure he's going to land on his feet. And, Tommy, I think, uh, and Andy, correct me if I'm wrong, I think he worked at, uh, wasn't he a crew chief at uh, RCR? Or am I, do I have him confused with somebody else? No, no, you're exactly right. He um, actually crew chief for Boyer for a while, and I think possibly even Harvick for a little bit. So, uh, and even going back before that, he was uh, a Penske crew chief for Brendan Gone going back to like the mid 2000s, and so he's certainly spent some time in the Cup Series over the years. Okay, so uh, there you have it, Tommy. Jay, what are your uh, thoughts? I don't, I don't know, Sharon. What are my thoughts and my words exactly, word for word? I know we always have, uh, all of us have similar train of thoughts, but you managed to seem to pull word for word. I think this is a matter of the straw that broke the camel's back. Uh, you know, Andy, Andy alluded to it, uh, some decisions maybe as a crew chief that maybe put him in bad positions. Um, but even if this were something that they found where he intentionally tried something and uh, unsafe and the, the wheel didn't hold up. I don't know that that would cost him his job. There had to be more to it than that. And I don't even know that that were the case. It just so happens that is one of those cases where when it happens, it does fall on the crew chief um, as responsibility for it. So even if it were something he overlooked or missed, that one incident I don't think would be enough to pull him from the job so there has to be more to that story that we just don't know to include whether or not that wheel coming off was something he tried and it didn't work. If it just something that got overlooked or even if it just so happened to have happened that way, we don't know that. But as Andy mentioned, there's been several things where the calls he's made uh, throughout races have been questioned. So I think it is just a matter of things weren't gelling a uh, difference of opinion or direction. They want to Oh, yep, go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I'm sorry, Jay, but I've got to interrupt you. Uh, at this time of the night, we like to do an announcement, especially for our brand-new listeners who don't know. We're going to go off the air at exactly 10.30 p.m. Eastern time, but we will continue to record the rest of our conversation. I will go out on Twitter and uh, let people know that the podcast is available. And at that point, you can go to fanfracing.com and our player there and just fast forward to that two-hour mark to hear the rest of our conversation. Again, we like to let new listeners know that that's going to happen so nobody's caught off guard. And with that, Jay, you can continue your thought. All right. Um yeah, that, that there had to be more to that story there than just this one incident. And hopefully it is for the best for both sides. Uh, I think everybody has kind of said it. We expect Shane Wilson to come up somewhere else. It may not be yet this year as we're coming down to the final races. But being his experience and the, what he brings to the table, I do think we see his name come up somewhere with another organization. So hopefully it works out better for him in that situation and, and everybody involved. Okay. Andy, your thoughts, your follow-up thoughts? Yeah, not, not too much here other than, you know, I do think that someone 
like Shane with a lot of experience and success in the past, he'll find a he'll find a home somewhere, but it just unfortunately turned out that the relationship between uh he and Ryan Seagracing just kinda soured and it's really kind of unfortunate too because Shane had been with the team and then left. He actually spent some time with uh, Tanner Gray at DGR in the truck series and then came back to Ryan Sieg Racing um, at some point, I think, earlier this season. And then, unfortunately, things just didn't go well. So it's too bad because it was a, a scenario where, you know, they may have been able to have some success together, but it just didn't materialize. And sometimes, um, as we all know, relationships in racing, like, like a marriage, they just dissolve and don't work over time. And, unfortunately, this is another one of those scenarios and you know i'm sure that you know ryan sieg racing will move on and and um you know find what works for them the same for shane wilson and and uh you know things will be better off in the long run okay coming your follow-up so i did look it up uh so i could be prepared but you guys already said it he did uh, crew chief Brendan Gaughan in the Penske 77 car. I remember that just mostly because I was like eight or nine at the time and I had a the little Kodak paint scheme car. Um, so from there he went to Harvick in the Bush series to uh, Boyer at Cup and then to Harvick at Cup and then back to Brendan Gaughan uh, wherever he was at and then recently with Ryan Sieg. But uh, after looking at all that, he'll definitely um, find another spot. Um, unfortunate, though, he had a really bad uh, day or week, I guess you could say, and then it turned for the worse. Suspension and then getting canned, it, that was, that's pretty bad. But he's definitely going to end up somewhere. And uh, hopefully Ryan Sieg with the new crew chief maybe gets that breakthrough win. Okay, yeah, I'm hoping for that too, Tommy. I don't really have a whole lot to add, so I'll go to Jay's final comments. The the one thing that, that I look at it with the team of uh, RSS, Ryan Sieg Racing, family-owned team, not a lot of huge sponsorship. Truthfully, they may not even be able to bring in, say, for example, a crew chief like Chad Canals. And I hate to pick on him, but we all know where he's at. One that pushes those limits, if the team takes a penalty, that team cannot afford the penalty. When you talk about mm-hmm. a crew chief to a, or a fine to a crew chief or the organization, that team just cannot afford it. So I think that might come into play that they're just in that line of, hey, we can't have no mistakes that NASCAR is going to come down on us as a team and organization that's going to cost us because we can't afford that. You know, Joe Gibbs takes a $100,000 or whatever it is penalty – Somebody shells out the money and they move on the next week. You know, Chase Elliott and his team, they take the penalty, they move on. That team can't afford it. So I think that might come into play that they really do. I mean, we want to see all teams play by the rules, but they maybe more so have to just because they can't afford the penalty. Yeah, I think that's a really good point, Jay. So thank you for bringing that up. Okay, Andy, we're back to you for the next talk topic. Well, I'd like to tackle one that um, got a lot of people talking this week, and it actually hits home with me. But um, you guys actually probably talked about this Monday. I obviously wasn't on the show, but I kind of want to talk and revisit 
the finish between Hamlin and Briscoe and and specifically because some in-car audio came out because I did my research on this one and I've got a pretty good statement on it. But just kind of curious what people thought about it and obviously I'm open to honest opinions on it. So just curious what people's thoughts were because that one got people talking this week for sure. Yep, we did talk about it on Monday. Tommy, do you remember what you said? <laughs> Crazy finish. Um, I missed all of the race, but the last lap I was able to catch it. I downloaded the NBC Sports app right on time, and I catched the last 30 minutes, both final restarts. Absolutely crazy. Michael McDowell went flying in the air <laughs> and spun out. Um he launched that car. That was crazy. Um, so I didn't realize that uh, the guy on Door Bumper Clear, Brett, was the spotter for AJ. And he broke down the restart, and uh, Denny was pushed by AJ, and that caused Chase to go through the grass. Um, then he actually did give the lead back to Denny Hamlin. So I don't – I mean – I know NASCAR is saying that that was a penalty to cut through the grass, but I don't see how it really – I mean, he got behind Hamlin, and then and he did bump into him and then spin him out. Uh, that was just hard racing. I mean, he's from um, Indy or where uh, Indianapolis but uh, or that state, um, and he's just going to race hard to, to win there. And unfortunately, Denny just got the bad end there. Uh, then there's all this stuff about how he knew that that was it, but it was actually his spotter and crew chief talking and not him, mm-hmm. so he still wasn't informed of the penalty. And just madness. And then AJ wins, and um, a lot of people want to see it go back to the Oval. I mean, I thought the road course race was entertaining. It's just unfortunate that, that there were so many red flags due to the curbing and everything. Uh, that's um, not a really good first race when all that's going on. But the finish, I think, I guess, made up for that. Um, just just a whole lot going on. Just crazy. Um, Austin Dillon, the, that was a funny interview at the end there. Um, right when he got in the last wreck and he got out of the car, he's like, so, um, Oval? <laughs> <laughs> okay, Jay, your thoughts. Well, Andy, you know me well enough. I don't know if I could remember what I said a half hour ago, let alone back on, on Monday's show, but uh, <laughs> hopefully it isn't a complete reversal. The incident itself between Briscoe and Hamlin, I know I said this. First off, I don't think that Briscoe was forced off the track. I know there was some bumping and banging, but it looked to me like he turned to avoid any contact. Now, if the rule is you can't go off, you can't go off, and he kind of chose to do that on his own. But I am with Tommy. I don't think that, Tom, that the penalty should have taken place because when he came back on, he checked up and gave the position back. He wrecked or the situation that happened, he hit Hamlin from behind, which means Hamlin was back in front of him. So from that aspect, I don't think the penalty should have taken place. But we got to represent Mike here. And from what I heard today, the rule is – all four tires go over the uh, the curbing, it is the penalty. doesn't say if you're forced off, if whatever. It says if all four. So if the rule is that, then NASCAR was in that box. 
uh, they had to penalize, whether we agree with it or not. I know I compared it to the yellow line rule at Talladega and Daytona. You don't want to leave that judgment call up to NASCAR. He gave the spot back, so I, I felt like it should have been okay. Now, they've given the penalty, and for whatever reason, word didn't get to him as the driver until after the situation with Denny Hamlin. I don't think it was retaliation. I don't necessarily think it was even over-aggressive driving. I think it was him going for his first win, a win that locks him into the playoffs, a win in his home state of Indiana. Maybe it was a little over-aggressive. I, I don't feel like he outright ran over Denny Hamlin. He gave him the nudge. It just happened to spin Danny Hamlin out. And Hamlin admitted that he'd probably done the same thing in that position. So uh, all in all, I think there's some things that could be approved on the clarification on the rule as to giving a position back. I think there's a lot of things to relook at and, and to include the communication of when it went to the spotter or the team, the team passing it along to the driver. But I understand that too. I'm sure that their crew chief or team was making the argument of, Hey, we were forced off or they felt they were forced off and we gave the spot back. Why are we getting penalized? So I'm sure they wanted to take that time before serving the penalty uh, if they lost that argument. So I think it's just one of those of chalk it up to racing. Improvements can be made on all sides and we'll have to see where it goes for next time. Yeah. Um, full disclosure, I did not see any part of the race. Uh, I haven't seen any highlights or anything. I was actually on the road Sunday, but I did hear about this, and so my comments were all based on what I had heard. I got clarification as a result of uh, Hot Topics on Monday, and it sounds to me like uh did not get the communication. He explained that to Denny Hamlin, and Denny Hamlin, I have to give him credit. He listened to understand and he understood the situation for Chase Briscoe uh, and acknowledged things as has already been pointed out uh, that he probably would have done the same thing uh, and that he's been in that situation before so he understands what was happening with Chase Briscoe um, it's unfortunate uh, in some respects that he did not get that communication to know that he was being penalized. But I really think that the reason he didn't get that communication is because his team was fighting on his behalf to say he gave the position back uh, so he should not be penalized. And you've got to give kudos to the team uh, trying to do what they could do to support their driver. So um, uh, it's unfortunate that he didn't get the communication. Uh, again, I think Denny Hamlin just understood after talking with Chase Briscoe uh, exactly what the situation was, and he listened to understand. I wish more drivers would do that. And I've sometimes been critical of Denny Hamlin uh, for being emotionally immature in some cases, but in this particular situation, I was very, very pleased with how he handled that situation in an emotional um, an emotional situation in a non-emotional way. So I do have to give Denny Hamlin kudos for that. Um, even though it hurt him, I think he took the high road in this one, and uh, I think that was uh, really good to see. So, Andy, I am curious to see what your thoughts are. 
only the second cup race that I've had to miss this year, but I was able to tune in and follow the last uh, little bit there with all the red flags and all the calamity that ensued. So I did miss probably 90% of the race, but I did tune in at the end. And I actually was fortunate to be listening to the scanner of that car when that all happened. And I also was able to analyze what NASCAR posted this week. And this is, I just want to say first off, thanks to the three of you for actually understanding what took place with the in-car audio, because NASCAR released a video this week of the in-car of the 14 synced up with the audio. And it's misleading because basically NASCAR scanner um, audio that's made available to the fans is a mixture of, of channel one and channel two. Channel one is of course, crew chief driver and spotter. Channel two is simply spotter and crew chief. And Mm -hmm. it, it basically, and it, and it, of course, it's just the audio that's presented is of both frequencies at all times. And so it was a bit misleading because there was discussion of the penalty before the spin. And I think that was the problem that everybody had was they thought he knew about the penalty and then chose to take Hamlin out as retaliation for being forced off the track. Thankfully, that actually, that's not the case, but because of what they released this week with the audio, even Hamlin made a couple of comments on Twitter about it. And um, there's been a little bit of back and forth about it and a lot of fan comments. And I think NASCAR doing what they did, unfortunately made the situation a little bit worse in terms of getting people to believe that Chase knew about the penalty and then maliciously wrecked Hamlin. But that's, that isn't the case. Um, Essentially everyone's opinion of it is, is what you've said on here is exactly what happened. Basically, he went off the track, and and I hate to say this, but I, I do agree with the penalty. He went off the track by quite a bit and did cut that corner. And in doing so, it is a penalty. So I understand NASCAR's perspective in issuing the penalty. So I didn't really have a problem with that. It was immensely disappointing for me as a fan, thinking he was on the verge of his first career win coming at his home track. But I understood the penalty. I said, okay, I get it. You know, things happen. He cut the course, whether he was forced into the grass or not. It's a penalty. I get it. Um, At that time, the spotter told the crew chief on Channel 2, you know, Johnny Klausmeyer's the crew chief. He said, Johnny, they're telling us we have to do a stop and go in turn 10. And then the crew chief replied, yes, that's correct, stop and go in turn 10. Meanwhile, they're going through the inner portion of the course. Chase is still racing like he has a a chance at the win. And so, and even Chase admitted this this week, I believe on Corey LaJoy's podcast, Stacking Pennies, that, you know, he was still racing for the win. He misjudged misjudged the nudge to Hamlin and turned him. It was a misjudgment. It wasn't a malicious intent to wreck him, but it was – just him simply trying to go for the win. That's what it was. It was aggressive driving. And it was right about that exact same time the crew chief finally mentioned on Channel 1, which is what Chase would hear, that they had to do a stop and go in turn 10, but then it escalated into um, a pass down pit road and eventually just simply being parked because of 
the spin with the 11 car. They parked him for it. So, um, but I, I wanted to bring it up on here and talk about it because I saw a lot of, you know, just a lot of misinterpretations of it and people thinking that, you know, he knew about the penalty and then chose to wreck the 11 car. And it, and that's just simply not the case. And a lot of it is because the audio that you hear is a mixture of two different radio frequencies and the penalty discussion initially took place in which the driver didn't know he was penalized. So, um, so to summarize that the penalty, I think whether I like it or not, it's a crime. It's unfortunate, but then, you know, as far as the incident with the 11 car, you know, I certainly hate to see that, you know, and I'm sure, you know, if you were, if you're a Hamlin fan, you're going to be disappointed about that and frustrated. I know certainly if, if the roles were reversed, I would be frustrated as a fan, but I think at the end of the day, you know, and Hamlin even said this too, in his post race, you know, Briscoe doesn't, doesn't race like that. He doesn't purposely wreck people. And I think once people can, once people can, kind of look at it and realize, you know, how that audio communication actually took place on, on a different channel first before going to the driver, they would realize that, you know, at the time of the spin, Briscoe was under the impression he could still win the race. And, and the spin itself was just mis, misjudgment on the part of Chase. But, you know, it's unfortunate. It certainly became kind of a, a hot topic this week and something I wanted to bring up simply to try to break it down so that people could better understand what took place. And, and even I was, when it happened, I was like, oh, man, I can't believe he turned the 11 car. Like, that's crazy. Like, how did that happen, you know? But that, it, it made me want to go back and, and try to figure it out. And, you know, it's unfortunate, certainly, but, you know, obviously um, – if you're a Denny Hamlin fan, I think, you know, you're still feeling pretty good about your playoff chances. I think he's still the points leader, which means he would be the regular season champion if he can make that points lead extend to um, post-Daytona. So, um, yeah, kind of an interesting incident there, but, um, you know, it's unfortunate. Hopefully, Denny and Chase can, can kind of figure it out and, and uh, move past it and realize that, you know, it was it was in fact a racing incident. It wasn't intentional, and, and hopefully they'll be able to move on from that. Yeah, I don't know if you know this or not, Andy, but he's not the points leader now. Kyle Larson is the points leader, and Denny Hamlin oh, wow. is twenty two points back. Yeah. Oh, that's uh, that changes things. Wow, interesting. Okay, I, I wasn't sure if you knew that. Uh, did. You, you've got a chance at a follow-up, so we'll leave it for that. Tommy, what's your follow-up? It was just a crazy wild finish, and there was so much to process all at once. Um, mm-hmm. A lot happened. Um, yeah, I don't I, – I feel like NASCAR and Twitter is trying to make it out that Chase knew, and, I mean – they handled the situation so well, pit road. And it, I mean, it makes sense. I mean, he didn't know he was just racing really hard for the win. That's why he spun out. I mean, and watching it, it really did look like he spun him out, but I mean, he bumped into him trying to get around him to win the race. I mean, it's, it's just, it just happens. I mean, and Denny said, he even said that it wasn't intentional. So, 
I don't know what the big issue is. It's kind of like the Christopher Bell and Kyle Larson thing. I just feel like they're trying to build up the drama, I guess, for the playoffs maybe, but I don't think they need to do that. Daytona's going to be just fine for drama. (laughs) I think you're right. Jay? Yeah, in this case, Sharon, I don't know that you you stole my thoughts. I know we both had the same thoughts. I want to reiterate it, though. Uh, Danny Hamlin handled it very, very well. Uh, Even my mom, uh, as I left the dirt track, hadn't seen the race. I saw a couple of clips and kind of getting piecing it together. She said she was impressed with how well Danny Hamlin handled it. They talked afterwards. There was a little bit of raising voices, but nothing any more than that. And as as several have said, Denny Hamlin said, hey, I understand the position you were in. I'm not happy about it. I'm on the tail end of it, but the wrong end of it. But I understand it, and I may have even done it myself where the situation reversed. So I think you're right. Some great maturity there. The anger of the situation aside, he said he didn't feel like that was a malicious retaliation attack. It was a young driver going for his first win, going for an Indy win, going for the playoffs. that there was no harm, no foul, if you will, from that aspect. Just happened to be that Denny Hamlin was a recipient of a bad finish then. Um, Going back to the penalty, like I said, I had to represent Mike there. I think the way NASCAR had the penalty written, yes, it was, but I don't think it should have been either. Even if he chose to drive off, like I said he did, he gave the spot back. He actually maybe even lost some some, uh, positions uh, at least some space. So I don't see where that should have been a penalty that other than if it is black and white, you grass with all four, it's a penalty. But then I think NASCAR needs to look at that as well and go go similar to what they have with the double file, the double yellow line at Talladega and Daytona. If you go below it, don't advance your position. If you do give it back and then NASCAR will make that call. And, and Chase Briscoe clearly did that. Uh, so I, I still don't agree with that penalty from it. But like Tommy said, so much action, so much going on there in those final laps. And, yeah, it wasn't the inaugural race at Indianapolis, but it was on the road course. Every driver wants to win that for numerous reasons. Denny Hamlin had more so. So did Chase Briscoe. So, and as it turns out, A.J. Elmendinger got it, which it probably meant more to him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, Chase Briscoe's from Mitchell, Indiana. So for him to win at Indianapolis on the road course – would have been huge uh, for him. And, you know, thank God it would have been huge for Andy, too, because you would have finally got some points for choosing Chase Frisco. Um, but <laughs> the thing is... I love wow. it. Yes, I know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I'm sorry for the zinger there. I just couldn't resist. Oh, I love um, it. No, it's okay. I love it. That's funny. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but anyway, I do think... Uh, that uh, the, the thing that I love about what Denny Hamlin did is he knew that Chase Bristol does not race that way. And he, he yeah, they might have had some disagreements during the conversation. I'm not aware of that because, like I said, I didn't see any of it. But I do think that when he walks away from that, knowing that Chase Bristol doesn't drive that way, he knew he didn't do it maliciously. He gave him the benefit of the doubt, understanding that he was trying to go for that first victory at his home track. Um, I just can't say enough about how Denny Hamlin handled that situation, and I wish we would see that from more drivers. 
Um, and I've been critical of Denny Hamlin in the past. So that's saying a lot for me because I don't think he's shown emotional maturity in the past. And in this case, it was a tremendous, I think it was emotional intelligence uh, that he used at uh, Indianapolis in dealing with Chase Bristol and the situation. I do agree with Jay that um, we, I, I understand that it's the NASCAR rule, the penalty was given justly based on the way that the rule is written, but I do think that it should have been it should be reviewed, uh, and because he did give that position back, and I can understand Chase thinking I gave the position back, I should be able to now race for the win, and he was going to go after it, and he went after it aggressively, and probably a little too aggressively, but uh, you can't blame him for that. He's had his home track, a chance to get his first victory in the Cup Series and qualify for the playoffs. Why wouldn't he go after it aggressively? So uh, I think it's all good and uh, uh, an unfortunate situation, but I think that the end result is all good, and it will be especially good if NASCAR reviews that rule. So, Andy, your final thoughts. Yeah, no real follow-up on it. I think that – like I said, kind of a kind of just a crazy finish to that race, and that that's certainly um, a race I'm looking forward to going back and watching the highlights because it looked pretty wild. So, um, pretty crazy end to that race, and yeah, you know, unfortunate uh, end if you're if you're Chase Briscoe or, or Jenny Hamlin, but um, you know, I think that um, you know trying to make the playoffs lends itself to incidents like that. And that's probably not the last one we're going to see. Like Tommy has mentioned a couple times tonight, um, you know, Daytona is not going to be tame or boring <laughs> in a couple weeks. That's for sure. So um, yeah, it's just, we're getting down to it. It's, it's hard to believe we're at that time, but we are at that time of determining the 2021 playoff field and it's just going to be intense, but uh, you know, going to be uh, crazy. It will indeed. Okay, Tommy, it's up to you for our next topic. What you got? Uh, I don't don't really have one. Sorry. Oh, that's okay. Jay, do you have one? Well, I was just looking at that. I know we got about three minutes left here uh, before we hit the top of the hour. So I was going to... Yeah, getting real close. So I was actually going to put it up on the board and and we'll hit it on Monday. But if you want the uh, thought process to start already, where does Noah Gregson drive next year? Ooh, that's a good one. Let's save it for Monday since we are at the uh, very close to the top of the hour already. Uh, I was having such a good time. I lost track of time here. Um, But uh, yeah, let's go ahead and do our round table. Uh, and then uh, our goodbye here for tonight. But uh, first of all, I want to say, Andy, it was great having you back. And, Tommy, we'll start with you for the uh, roundtable. At since 95, Sam, Tommy underscore C24, follow me on Twitter. Um, Every now and then I tweet um, some NASCAR-related stuff, so be on the lookout. All righty. Jay. You can follow me on Michael Hoosman on Facebook, MoparMJ8 on Twitter and Instagram, and 
If you're in the Jackson, Mississippi area, it's Fan Appreciation Night. A dollar to get into the grandstand, thanks to Wendy's. And with that, Wendy's being the sponsor, we're having a frosty eating contest uh, during intermission. So even if you're not from the Jackson area, you might want to come in for that one. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Uh, It was great having you on tonight as well as Tommy. So, Andy, uh, the roundtable. Yeah, I think, first off, just glad to be back on a show. I know it's been a, a rough summer. It seems like work has really intera- uh, really conflicted pretty badly with doing shows this summer, so it's nice to have it finally work out. And, as always, just thankful for the opportunity to come on and talk about the sport we all love very much. But um, on Twitter, I, I'm at CB14Fan, and um, I think I'm going to wind up missing the Saturday racing, but should be able to watch some stuff on Sunday. So um, thankful that uh, get to follow the cup action on Sunday. Looking forward to Michigan and Gateway. Gateway always puts on a good show and be cool to see that action this weekend. So looking forward to that and uh, looking forward to seeing if we can get some more upset winners this weekend or uh, if, um, you know, one of the regulars will get the job done. It'll be fun to watch. Absolutely. I'm looking forward to it as well. I might not be able to watch all of them live, but uh, I do plan to try to get uh, uh, some time in to watch all of the races this weekend, including the ARCA races. And there's three of those this weekend. So uh, quite a bit of racing on tap for the weekend. Uh, I am Fan for Racing site on Twitter, Fan for Racing blog and radio everywhere else, including fanforracing.com. And uh, definitely look racing. We have uh, Sam's recaps up, and uh, it's always good to hear his perspective on what happens in the Cup Series races. And uh, uh, I hope to to be able to get uh, going here again. It's just been a very extremely busy summer, and I apologize to you guys for that. Uh, But uh, there's just been so much going on and uh, so little time to get it all done. So I appreciate you guys' understanding. And uh, a big kudo to all of our listeners for tuning in. We appreciate you taking the time to hear what we have to say every week, uh, two times a week. And um, uh, a big kudos to our team here at Banff Racing Radio as well, with uh, Aunt Day for uh, being the co-host tonight, Andy finally being able to come back on, and Tommy always being... Um, ready and willing whenever possible uh, to be here on our Hot Topics. We really, really appreciate that, Tommy. And uh, with that, I am uh, I think we're ready to call it a night, guys. Sounds good. Have a good night, everybody. Good night. Good night, everybody. We'll talk to you on the other side.
Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.